Callum, how are you? Are you all right? Dude, it's been a minute. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Just um, making sure that this is recording and it is. So we're Yes, I can, I can see that up in the top corner. Dude, I was actually thinking, when was the last time we saw each other? Was it the December pop punk karaoke last year? And now it's the, and now it's the 5th of May, 6th yeah. of May? Yeah, I think it will be, man. How crazy is that? Because I missed you at, at the, uh, the Menzinger show, Spanish Love Songs. Were you there? Uh, no, I saw you. I saw you there. Oh, then that was it. Then yeah, that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah. Must yeah. have seen you just like, oh, yeah. Because, yeah, we caught up really yeah, quickly outside the merch for like two seconds. It's hey. that way a show, man. Like, we know that many people. Like, you can only talk for like a small <laughs> period of time before somebody taps you on your shoulder and you're like, all right, man. It's that really awkward thing of like, yeah, I'm talking to someone. Like, I'll talk to you. <laughs> so fucking annoying. It was, it was busy as well. That show was rammed. It was so it was good. Such a good show, man. And then. Mm. That was potentially the last gig I was at before this happened. Yeah, I think Emily and I went to go see Gabrielle Applin play. Oh, and, nice, man. And then, like, four days later, she she canned that tour. We were supposed to go see Bonnie Vare on, like, on Friday, whatever it was, the 1st of May. Yeah, it's crazy oh, what's going man. on right now. Yeah, yeah. Have you had much, uh, much of your life cancelled since this happened? Do you know, I think I'm really fortunate. I think Emily and I are both really fortunate. Like it's mental this year's kind of on a write-off. Like, you know, all the weddings, the shows, the gigs, the all the stuff that was kind of like planned for 2020 has yeah. totally been just kind of like rescheduled or, or put on the back burner for now. Yeah. Um, but I'm still working. I'm still making loads of music. And I'm if anything, I've just got loads more time to catch up with as many friends as possible to uh, catch up with like a whole bunch of people catch up on music and albums that I you know haven't listened to in like yeah, yeah. a thousand years and it's really really good my only my only uh, worry is I, I gotta book in at the dentist Emily made this amazing focaccia and I swear I've got this bit of rosemary like stuff <laughs> no and, and I can see it it freaks me out every time I like I have the goofiest smile anyway but every time I smile and show teeth there's like this little hidden shadow on top of my gum i'm like man i swear oh my god that's a rosemary sliced up right in there <laughs> hanging out you waiting need to get that shit out man lockdown yeah i gotta get to a dentist as soon as i can yeah, yeah. but it's like not an emergency because there's like no blood it's not in the yeah. way of anything i think it's just stuck up there i mean th again this is my theory i don't know that necessarily it is yeah, actually yeah. rosemary up there probably just <laughs> have like a shadow on the gum or something well, that's freaking out it's always worth it for focaccia, man. Because <laughs> that shit is amazing. <laughs> that focaccia. In fact, like, I saw that on Instagram, I think. And it was like, there's, there's been a, a few. It's, they are incredible. Yeah, yeah. But the thing we're really vibing right now, cinnamon buns. Man, I've not had a cinnamon bun, I think, since the last time I was in Florida, which would have been like three years ago. That is too long ago. Far too long, man. But um, I only get a treat with my coffee every now and again. As you, mm. um, and when I get that, it's usually a brownie. <laughs> Especially the worst. You're probably the worst person to tell my aspirations to. Because I remember like saying to my mom like a thousand years ago on like when we were talking or something. She's like, Callum, what do you want out of life? And I was like, Joan, honestly, like I'll know I've made it. When I'm like good to wake up in the morning, have like a fresh, <laughs> fresh pot of coffee, like either a fresh blueberry muffin or a fresh cinnamon bun. 
And my mom was like, every day, Jesus, you'll be the size of a house. <laughs> but that was like my, that was my aspiration. I didn't want a, a mansion, didn't want like a Lamborghini or whatever. Just wanted to have a, a delicious a cinnamon bun every morning. Uh, you're a big coffee dude as well. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I love my coffee, but I think I'm pretty, pretty simple with it. Like, I just like straight up dark roast black coffee on a nice flat white. Whereas you're quite... Ex- experimental where you are where you get your coffee from and stuff i think man like i believe you'll find the term as a scientist man man is a coffee scientist <laughs> i always know? i always see you with these nice cups of black coffee in the morning on instagram so how do you make your morning coffee and where do you get uh, it from well i i mean i should really hype up some of my my favorite my favorite shops so obviously jordan spears and market coffee in the south side of glasgow whatever he's roasting, I'm a fan of, I'll go in and cause he's always got some delicious stuff in there. But dude, I got really like, I, it's funny. I never even liked coffee until I started working, you know, on a zero hour contract in Starbucks in between tours back in 2008 or something. And, um, but like now it's evolved to, yeah, I love a niche, rare single origin bean. You know, yeah. I can smell where <laughs> the, the flavors are coming from so much. So when, when we were, all back together on that flutter red tour in october we were in the practice room and jordan poured poured some black coffee i had a sip and i was like "Mm, you know chocolatey there's like a hazelnut to it it's bitter i was like is this is this by any chance south american (laughs) (laughs) so the obsession's gone kind of overboard but yeah i just you know it's it's not even like a i drink it out of necessity sort of thing it's just i love it it's like the routine yeah and I actually really like making it, you know, whether that's grinding up the beans, getting the, the scales out, and the coffee, like I could talk for hours about coffee, but that's for yeah. another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a genuine, like, amazing part of the day for me of like, mm. one in the morning, because it's just like waking up and knowing you're going to make a nice cup of coffee is just really awesome. But see if you're like having a busy day, it's maybe a bit stressful, and you've got that hour you can just sit down in a coffee shop with a nice coffee and put some tunes in or a podcast and just do nothing like that's a real treat in the day for me man you know yeah exactly and i think it, it is that kind of just that time to kind of get your headspace and set yourself up for success one of the things i started doing a, a thousand years ago when i was living in glasgow was i, I read somewhere you know on, or saw in some ted talk like the whole science about building yourself up in the morning for like a great day or for success yeah. and it's that whole science of yeah when you wake up make sure you wake up but and get up before 8 30 because then if you've got a to-do list you can tackle it head on and you feel accomplished you feel ready for the next day there's the whole science behind when you wake up you know drink a glass of water because it replenishes what your body hasn't had while you've been sleeping so as dumb as that is i get up as early as i can or you know as early as i need to i should say uh you know i'll smash some water have some like fruit juice and then it'll be coffee and breakfast sort of thing to kind of just help, you know, just little parts of like getting that routine set up for the day to, you know, smash that's, it out, bro. That's it, man. I mean, there's real, you know, there's, there's, there's a real thing to be said about those little accomplishments before you even walk out the door. And it might be as simple as uh, for me making my bed, right? That might be sound really stupid, but <laughs> see to make my bed and just to have my room look that bit tidier and nicer to come into at night. But it's like being productive as well where I'm just leaving the place a mess and walking out the door. Like it, it actually does make a little difference to my day. 
dude, small personal victories. You got to take it in your stride. <laughs> and every day is going to be insane. But like, it's those little small personal yeah, victories that you do that I think really help psych you. Of you know, apologies in advance. I know I talk like a mom on a phone. I'm like, hello, have you, <laughs> have you had your vegetables? <laughs> like, I know I'm probably going to be shouting at you the whole time. Just man, to see you. <laughs> oh man, I'm buzzing for this man, buzzing. And I've actually just realized, man, that we were, we've already had our pop punk karaoke canceled, which was April 10th. Yep. And we were meant to be playing in Block next know. week as well on Thursday, the 14th. Uh, it's gutting, man. It's gutting, but it is what it is, I suppose. We'll, uh, we'll do them again at some point. But are you, um, are you jamming during lockdown? Oh, 100%, my dude. Hundo <laughs> percent. Yeah, at yeah. least you're probably writing some stuff rather than me just sitting playing Taking Back Sunday covers and stuff. But you Nothing know. wrong with that. And I loved your newfound glory video. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you played that at the last gig, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. Love that track. Or was it um, Tam- Tammy's birthday party? There was one. Man, I didn't. Like, if, if we're talking about how many times has Calendoris covered either Jimmy World or Newfound Glory, we're going to go into a rabbit hole. No, that's, that song specifically, <laughs> hold, hold My Hand, I'm pretty hold sure. My hand. It was Tammy's 30th uh, birthday, uh, our yeah. buddy Tammy Kozlowski's 30th birthday. That was wild. Yeah. So, yeah, are you writing some bad luck stuff then now? Yeah, man. So, I mean, I've always kind of had a little recording set up on the go for the last few years, especially. Um, and the real cool thing is, I guess, because now I'm working from my computer, which traditionally my job does not put me in front of a computer at all. So it's been really weird to spend so much time on my computer. And then it's like, I'll have a call, catch up with one of our, you know, one of my colleagues, one of the team, and then I'll hang up and I'll be like, uh, maybe I'll just go back in a garage band or logic real quick and program some more drums on that idea that <laughs> I had like six years ago. So recently I've been going through kind of redoing a whole bunch of old demos, man. I've got stuff that sounds like bad luck. I've got stuff that sounds like flutter red. I've got stuff that sounds like, I don't know, some futuristic funk and soul disco band from the moon. Just cause like, it's so much fun to sit and like create some music, you know? So it's been amazing to kind of write so much and, and to get a whole bunch of stuff done. I just literally today sent over a whole bunch of session files to Kim and Richard in Bad Luck because we had a, we've, we've had a good couple of calls recently about kind of like using this time way more productively. You know, Kim went through her 10 influential albums and like yeah. recorded the songs and yeah. like sang a song every night online, which was cool. So yeah, so I'm super stoked to see what happens next with some of the demos we're recording. For sure. That's, that'll be awesome, man. Um, just continuing on the lockdown theme, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think you not so recently uh, got promoted in work am I right in saying that yeah back in must have been December maybe earlier than that it, it, but it feels like it's been a crazy kind of journey I've been through in Edinburgh for you know on and off for five years I yeah. even came back to Glasgow for a bit and like the whole goal for me coming through to Edinburgh was really to kind of focus on my career for a while get out of Glasgow for a bit you know I wasn't long after leaving Flutter Red wasn't long broken up from a huge relationship like edinburgh was like a, a kind of clean cut for me yeah but it's funny i said to a friend the other day i was like man had i known that edinburgh was going to be the weird trip that it has been in these last five years man i would have shot myself to australia or like something <laughs> else you know like go sit in the sun somewhere yeah for sure uh, it's, it's been an amazing kind of weird journey but yeah recently i uh, yeah i got a nice little 
nice little promotion. It was just kind of like the next step for me at work, which was really, really awesome. So that's been cool. And everyone's been super supportive, which has been nuts. Okay. Like there's like baby steps. I'm still finding a whole bunch of stuff out and like I'm maybe six, six months into the role now, at least. So how did, how did that affect you then from getting a promotion? Obviously I'm assuming buzzing about it, getting cracking on mm. and then boom, Shops are shut. Everything's shut down. You need to work from home. Is that is that been rough? Has it been okay? How have you found it? Yeah, the, you know the one thing I worry about, and 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 I say this to the guys all the time, is the disconnect. Because I think, like I said, where I work, our job is so people focused, and it it is like you know making sure. I always joke that if 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 people aren't laughing, if people aren't having a good time, then I'm not doing my job right. And so it's, it's a difficult one when, say, for example, now you only get to see someone for 20 minutes of the day, whereas traditionally you'd be used to seeing them for six, seven, eight hours or something. And you could really have a really great, deep, meaningful conversation with them. I mean, not that I'm not still having that conversation with them, but it's a little bit harder to find the time to find someone, you know, so it's just a bit crazy now, but I'm super excited actually to get back into work just for the aspect of seeing all the people that I work with. Cause I work with such an amazing team. So it'll be good, man. It'll be really, really good when we get back up there and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff in lockdown, like we were yeah. saying to, to try and stay connected and try and stay engaged with everyone. Cause man, this for could sure. be a lonely time, huh? Like this would be a real, real weird one for if yeah. I was living through here on my own, I'd probably be like losing my mind already. <laughs> I have no one. <laughs> no, you've got everybody, dude. Yeah, but, but no, it's 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 weird, you know, not seeing or you know physically yeah. anybody. But you know, this this stuff helps. PlayStation Online helps. I mean, Johnny are shooting them up on Call of Duty every <laughs> night, man. Uh, I heard about but, these Call of Duty sessions. <laughs> but honestly, me and Johnny have never spoke so much since he moved into London, man. Literally every night, me, him, and Mackie you know, we're, we're hanging out essentially every day. Yeah. So that stuff helps, man. But um, there's obviously been positives to this whole thing. Like you say, you're recording oh, a bit more and stuff. So bittersweet, isn't it? You just yeah. kind of realize on all the stuff you're missing out on when you kind of are forced to sit and reflect <laughs> on yourself for a minute. Hey, yeah, just, yeah. Man, I miss hanging out with my mom. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, call yeah. my mom four times a day. Why the hell not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you find like sitting in the household every day? Is it getting a bit? Yeah, I suck at that. It's not yeah. my, it's not my guy. It's not my vibe. I uh, like, even when I have a, so, so say like life was back to normal. Think back to six months ago, last summer or whatever. Even, even if I have a day off and I haven't really got too much to do, like there's things that I'll be productive in and I'll be like, right, great, amazing. But I'll really beat myself up if I'm not productive or if I'm just stuck in the flat, if I'm sitting in the house, not doing anything. And now, like I totally find those moments, you know, when Emily was working in this and I was on a day off or I had a holiday and I was just kind of sitting around just like, man, like the weather sucks. I can't go out. There's no point in me going shopping. I, like I know all my friends are busy and it was just like little things were set me off. I was getting super frustrated. I'd spill my coffee when I was pouring it. I'd knock over a plant when I was walking from one room to the other. It got to the point the other day where I could feel myself losing my grip. I was getting so frustrated. I went and gave myself a timeout in the bathroom for five minutes, went yeah, in, man. switched the light off, just sat and was just like, dude, stop being such a fool. Things are chill. Relax. Yeah, man. Like, world of myself. It was good.
Yeah, I, I really struggle with that aspect of what you were just saying there. I'm so busy all the time with uh, work and coaching and training and, you know, going for coffee and meeting folk for social, like, whatever. So, like, it's came to this and I'm like, there's points where I have literally nothing to do and I'm I'm playing my PlayStation in the middle of the day or I'm watching Netflix in the middle of the day and I just feel guilt. I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. I should not be doing this. Like, this, I need to do something and then, um, you know... I need to be productive, but I think, you know, cuts to a point where you just need to be like, look, this is like out of all our controls. Nobody chose this. This isn't yeah. our, this isn't our fault. Just sit in your fucking ass and watch the telly if you want. Like, so important to remember that that like again, this is that's not it's it's not that we're unproductive. It's that we're all now having to find a way to exist and you know try and be as productive as we possibly can be uh-huh. during a global pandemic, and that's yeah. very different from just being lazy or being unproductive you know and i think a lot of people give themselves a hard time chill yeah we definitely do drink some juice you're not being unproductive you're just trying to find your way in this all because it's crazy yeah man for sure and i'm intrigued to ask this question it's literally just popped into my head this second but um how do you feel that this is going to change the world going forward man and like you know when we are allowed to go back to normal how do you what impact is this gonna have do you think man i'll be the first to get the second wave of corona from hugging everyone that i miss (laughs) (laughs) just gonna hug everyone more more than you already do yeah um i don't know it's it's that's a really interesting question actually and 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 do you think you know you can answer it about like the economy side of things like the world is in a weird place like will just going shopping for groceries be the same like we're trying to buy a house or a flat in the city and like what's that going to do for the housing market like there's all this stuff that kind of like it starts really just everyone starts panicking and everything but i think the most interesting thing that i've really kind of thought about and this is going to sound like the most californian hippie thing that i could say but it's like you know in this downtime think about how precious it's been to get out for that walk for like an hour oh, think I about see. how good it's been just to open up your window and let some air in because the weather's been good during this like, will we be as kind to nature as it has been to us during this lockdown? Like, man, I, I was getting real stressed out over winter because the street that we live on is like a block away from like the city center and there's always trash. Like all the football buses will park up and then they'll go down to Hibs football stadium. And I can't tell you how many times you walk up and there's plastic all over the street. There's yeah. a dog park and there's bottles thrown in it. And it just kind of made like that stuff started to really, really kind of cook my goose, you know? And I was just like, dude, I really hope people remember like what the positives were on the whole, you know, less pollution, less traffic, you know, a little bit more well-being and, and mental health time, a little bit of time just to kind of chill. Like think about how good that walk in the park felt. Make sure you like treat the earth with just as much kind of kindness and respect as it it has given you in this time. And I know that sounds really, really like man, save the planet. But I do think that's, we're going to start to see people really starting to think about, wow, the world's got to be a different place now as if global, as if climate change wasn't bad enough, as if Trump wasn't <laughs> the worst thing that could happen ever. How do we kind of really start working together to become a better, a better planet, a better earth for it? Like, you know, the next wave of pop punks and emos that are going to come up. <laughs> For sure. And speaking, oh, that was very, that was a very good answer. By the way. I, <laughs> oh, thank I, you. And I definitely, and I definitely agree with what you're saying as well, man. Like, if, if I'm being honest, I am guilty of not 
looking too much into things like climate change and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of just like more, I don't know, I'm just so focused on what my kind of day-to-day life is. I just, when I'm, I, I just, is isn't something I've really looked into that much and I don't know much about it. But yeah. as, as this has happened and I've seen photos of like, the air, <laughs> like look yeah. at the, look at pre lockdown and post lockdown, the difference is that it is a bit crazy, and obviously because people obviously aren't driving about as much and all that, because they're obviously making a massive change. So obviously that could be a, you know, something that is dramatically going to be changed after all this, or you'd like to think so anyway. Yeah, dude, fingers crossed. Anyway, yeah. and there's still plenty of time to read up and to kind of like figure out, like, man, how how can I take this time? And turn it into a positive in the future for sure. Yeah, for sure. And as you're saying, punk, punky moves there, which leads us into the, <laughs> leads us into the next bit nicely, man. Let's um, do it, dude. Traveling, traveling back to what was probably two thousand one or something when we 2001, met. Two thousand one, two thousand. Yeah, I was gonna say two thousand one, two thousand two, maybe, but I might be thinking a little bit later. Okay, so we met back in the day, like young kids, um, through music. Uh, my first memory of you was the crazy outgoing guy that used to dance about the cat house unders. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> uh, the crazy like American is- guy who's skanking about all the time to catty unders. You Man. and Jordan would be there every week, as much as me and Mojo and Mackie were there. And we used to so we'd go skateboarding at the weekend and like you know get into glasgow as early as we could do try and get a half ticket on the train and then we'd probably go up to like the best best kebab on queen street up from yeah. <laughs> worst worst food oh, ever terrible yeah like a you know we'd have enough money to split a kebab between like you know all the guys and then we go wait in line like front and center cat house under saturday night get yeah, me it's 30 because I want to put my CD in. I want to, and I often wondered, do, do you think people know the the context when, when you say skanking? <laughs> Probably <laughs> like, not. It's such a weird term. When I think about it now, if I was to tell people at work, yeah, man, I used to go to the cat house every weekend and skank about, people would be like, whoa, yeah, this dude's a hussy. Yeah, How am I in there? Yeah, skanking <laughs> like, is just a form of dancing. <laughs> and it was, it was like, it was like the, I guess the early, what, the new metal, ska punk, sort of like the, you yeah. know, of that generation slam dancing. It was the, and then of course, mosh pits happened. So that yeah. was great. Thank God for yeah. that. But yeah, nuts. Sorry, I lost your question. <laughs> what did, yeah, what yeah. So just, How did we met? Yeah, how we how we became friends. So met this. I'm given my memory of it was that that's when I first right. knew who you were because uh, obviously you would chat to you would, we would chat to each other like this song's amazing and we just mm. like, little things like that. And then um, you, I think you came to a lot a Lost for Words show or we, we were playing a show, show you yeah. were you were at and uh, and then so we started talking obviously at that and then I saw TPP. And the bar flies, yes. and I was wow. like, "Oh my god, I, I love you guys so much!" And then we just basically, obviously, the two bands were just playing on same shows and stuff, and we just became friends. Yeah, you know what's so funny about that? Thinking back to that show where I first saw Lost for Words, because I think it was like a, a school night, and it was in Strawberry <laughs> Fields, what then became <laughs> Ivory Blacks. Yeah, yeah. Gordon and I. That was also the first time we ever met Kelvin. Oh, the legend that is the the man. <laughs> the myth the dream maker the, the dream maker <laughs> the dream killer the, 
<laughs> the tour damager, whatever you want to call it, man. Dude, I mean, rest his soul. He's, he's a lovely dude, sweet guy. <laughs> but every time you bump into him, he's just telling you about how he's like, you know, I'm 17 million pounds in debt. My wife's oh, no. left, man. I'm trying to be a father. And he's like, oh, God, dude. Like, tell me more. Crazy, uh, yeah, I remember going to that Lost for Words show with Jordan Spears. And I remember being so blown away by you guys on stage. <laughs> oh, my God. These guys have like that American sound. I was like, these yeah, guys yeah. sound like drive through records. This is insane. This, these sound, these dudes sound like everything I've been listening to and, and they're live in front of me and I can bang my head. <laughs> and I swear the next day, Jordan Spears and I were in school talking you up, you up and like to all of our, like <laughs> Graham and Dale being like, Oh my God, it was the most incredible night of our lives. <laughs> and Jordan and I, started writing LFW in Sharpie, like on our skateboards. On oh, our I'm pretty sure I had it like on the foxing of my vans, like LFW. And people were like, what's LFW, you freak? Oh, and I was amazing. just like, you don't even know, man. They are this sick band from Glasgow <laughs> slash Partnership, And whoa, they're going to change the world. But yeah, man, it was wild. Man. Those times were insane. Cat House Unders, I, think I mean, you kind of you got to say thank you. That is where I pretty much met all my best friends and all the people, like the music community in Glasgow, I guess. That's where I got introduced to it so largely. That's where Stevie, uh, Stephen Grewer, Stevie G and I, that's where we met. Yeah. And we that's met over I, a shared love of pop music. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking 15 years old at that point. Yeah, that sounds about right. 15, I mean, 16. I had hair, so yeah, 14, 15, 16. Because I think when I first started we all, going to Catty Unders, I wasn't... What's that? We were all wearing wristbands. Oh, like a, mil, like a million. Like, um, <laughs> who was it that used to wear all them? I think it was um, Kenny from the starting line. He used to mm. like get the bands off his fans and he used to have a million. So I just copied them, obviously. <laughs> Sweatbands, baggy jeans before skinny was cool. Mm. Um, like before band t-shirts were really around you wore like kind of like obscure polo shirts like that yeah. was kind of like a big thing like stripy polo shirts for me H&M would I, always do like some weird like 70s print vintage yeah polo before shirt. i put on, on weight, like, sorry man i think there's a slight delay i think your wi-fi is acting up like you were saying it really would <laughs> hopefully we sorry, hang in there sorry. hopefully we hang in there um but yeah, that was uh, that was how we met and how we became friends, and you know we just basically have been good friends all since that. Um, but we obviously connected through music, and um, we'll get right into the music side of stuff very shortly. But just before we get into the music side of stuff and how music has affected your life, you obviously mm. have a accent. You obviously were not born. Uh. <laughs> You're obviously, you're from America, man, and you obviously moved over, so I've said obviously about eight times, so you've came, you've came over uh, at a young age to Airdrie? Yeah, dude, I was born in Sonoma, California. Yeah, man. My so, dad's from Airdrie. So what was that like, just like going to school over here, being American, being different, like what, how <coughs> did you, how did you, you know, get on with that? Yeah, like it was, it was a trip, dude. I think when you're nine years old, you think you know everything. <laughs> and so I remember like my folks telling me, we're going to move to Cal, uh, we're going to move to Scotland. And I was just like, wow, yeah, we're going to move to Scotland. Joan, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Is it my fault that we're leaving California? Did I do something wrong? <laughs> but um, it was pretty nuts, dude. Like 
the first the first summer that we moved over I remember because we stayed with my grandparents for a bit and then we moved in uh, to the house that we had first and I remember not knowing anyone like a lot of our stuff at the time was being shipped over on like a freight container or something so like my skateboard my BMX a lot of like I think my boom box a lot of my possessions you know I didn't have access to that so I was just kind of sitting in this other side of the world not knowing what the hell was going on and I remember I remember <laughs> Tom and Eddie Craig who were friends of mine in primary school coming and knocking on the door they were brothers who lived across the road from me but this was maybe three, a month and a half into living in Scotland and my mom had basically seen them in the street and been like oh you guys are my son's age you could be his friends just come on around <laughs> in 15 minutes and knock on the door I'll let them come out and play with you <laughs> like thank god they weren't you know 12 year old serial killers or whatever nature but um yeah no it was crazy dude coming over at nine was insane primary i was so behind in primary school because american education starts like later okay. so man i remember the tears just trying to do two times two absolutely just i was held you know the teacher was holding my hand going it's okay callum don't cry i'll teach you how to divide you know how many twos are in six and i was just like <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was held like getting into school and everything, but it wasn't too bad. Like, I guess we, we live in a pretty chilled out, really poverty stricken part of Scotland, you know, Airdrie. It's, it's, it's not exactly fancy at all. You know, old mining community, like loads of factories that were there were all shut down. So the people were actually really, really friendly. Everyone would, you know, the communities were fantastic. So it really didn't take too long to, to kind of get like a good group of friends in primary school and then, you know, jump up to high school. But I don't know if I ever told you, and uh, before I went up to high school, my dad was so worried about me being bullied for being the American kid that I spoke in a Scottish accent for like the first two years of high school. Well, I like, mean, I can never do that. Man. It, it was my dad who was just like, hey, Callum, the American accent and the skateboarding. I just don't want you to paint a target in your bike, right? Because I think in that summer as well, my mom would let me dye my hair like purple or something, you know, punk rock. Course, with I, I think I had heard Limp Biscuit and Blink-182 and I was just like, yes, this is my life. So then going up to high school, yeah, going up to high school, I was like, all right, everyone, how's it going? My name's Callum. I hate maths. Biology's rubbish, eh? Oh. And it's the weirdest thing in high school was then like everyone knew I was Californian <laughs> and then they were like, well, why is he speaking in a Scottish accent? But then it just kind of phased out eventually. And uh, yeah, it was pretty chill, but there are one or two people from Airdrie who actually still think I'm putting on the accent from my high school days. So do you think you're kidding on being American? Yeah. Like I'll see them if I go out to visit my mom or something, I'll get some groceries in, I'll be in the Tesco or whatever. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, Laura kitchen. Great to see you. And she's like, all right, Callum, quit it with the accent. Ah. We, know you're, <laughs> we know you're for your dream. You don't need to put on the American accent for me. And I was like, oh, no worries, dude. That's that sounds some harmless, harmless banter, but I was going to ask if you did get any kind of negativity, bullying type stuff going on because you were different different i don't think so much because i was californian different that i was very hairy for a young kid i know that's a weird thing to say but like the like in high school when we were at the age where we met just before dude i pretty much had a full-on beard at like 15 thank god for alopecia just taking <laughs> that hair away when it did because because uh, i used to get in fights all the time with like older kids in my neighborhood like 
kids, you know, like, you know how kids are just stupid and they come up and they go, ah, your, your shoes look stupid and they'll smack you in the face or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumb reasons to, to fight or whatever. Like I was always the dude who got punched growing up when we were hanging out in whatever places. Cause I looked older than I was. Um, in school, I never really got bullied or anything for, for being Californian, thankfully, cause I think that would suck. Um, but I absolutely, you know, got bullied for being a skater guy, you know, wearing yeah. moon boots, you know, listening to rock music, whatever it was. I remember getting like dragged up a set of stairs and then held over the stairs. Cause there was like a balcony by like some older kids, you know, just being tied to shit. Like people would like throw like cans of bars, cola at the back of your head from like 10 feet away, full force, just because oh, you're a goth or whatever <laughs> it was. Yeah. Like real dumb stuff like that. But I mean, kids are, I mean, God, if you could go back right now, and be a child again you'd be like oh dudes being so immature we got to tone this down a notch <laughs> why don't we just find a way to communicate our feelings or so <laughs> For sure. but yeah like just dumb stuff in school but that was all just because we were skaters you know yeah. and in a way I, I think later on once once i met all the guys that we like so jordan spears and graham and dale and once i found my kind of my my friendship circle in high school we we challenged it just as much being different invited confrontation you know what i mean you know what i mean so yeah and as soon as someone had stepped up to you you felt invincible with your best friends so we we're like god damn right i'm a skater what are you saying to it come at me bro and um, but thankfully like we never really had too many scraps and the bullying and the the kind of the, all that kind of stopped after like third or fourth you know it disappears yeah. and i mean i doubt there's any like 14 year old kids listening you never know but what I will say is, man, if someone gives you shit, just ignore it, dude. Because in a year's time, two years time, those kids are going to be gone. You know, who still sees their high school bullies? Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I got a lot of, a lot of grief back in the day growing up, man. And uh, yeah, as you say, who knows where those guys are now, man. Um, yeah. Very much doubt they'll be listening to this anyway. So, <laughs> so but going on from school was obviously where you met the guys in the band yeah and the psychotic pandas yeah, uh, tpp yeah man so like <laughs> how did you yes how sir did you get into wanting to be in a band like when did that all start uh well i mean originally i think my when i was probably like 11 years old i think i probably thought i wanted to be tom cruise in some form or another <laughs> like i wanted to be like a movie star or something right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> weird thing to want to be and, and then i kind of got into music like i was addicted to music channels like um like music videos like smash hits box and all that stuff and i mean i love music videos i would just sit and put them on all the time like I kind of lost interest in cartoons. I lost interest in WWF, Super Saturdays, whatever it was. I, I just wanted to watch these music videos. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of musical influence from my parents. My dad would listen to everything from Michael Jackson to Metallica. And he had every tape and vinyl under the sun. And he'd always like play me music, play me music. And my mom has a very weird taste in music, but she would always tell me about the musicians. She'd say, oh, this this you know buddy holly is famous because of this reason or you know this band all met in this place and they they had this song or they were a one hot wonder whatever um so i always kind of was really intrigued by music because of their kind of like influence i suppose sure. but dude like i remember seeing like bands and just being like wow this is insane how the hell do i learn how to play guitar 
asked my dad for one for my 14th birthday. And I think like that day I figured out a way to kind of like almost play damn it by Blink-182. <laughs> like it was totally out of tune, but I was like, you know, I think I kind of got there, you know, like using my thumb, no doubt on the, on the yeah. fretboard, yeah. <laughs> trying to like down, 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 <laughs> slide up and down. I still do that. But we were all skateboarding. Oh, same. We were all skateboarding. And I think skate early skateboarding videos kind of influenced us to a lot of stuff that just wasn't on like the music channels. So like, you know, if you think back to before there was MTV2 or P-Rock or Kerrang or whatever these channels were, we were all watching skateboarding videos and there was like punk bands, you know, hardcore bands, a really crazy mix of hip hop and, and other stuff. And that kind of got us really interested to like, like going to gigs and seeing bands but dude the the band that made me want to get into music 100% hell is for heroes before they released the album the neon handshake they did a show in the qmu and i think that was the first time i saw them and we all went again it was probably a school night went and saw hell is for heroes like i was obsessed with hell is for heroes i remember you guys jordan especially yeah Dude, loved Hell is for Heroes. Still love them to this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember their their guitarist, Will McGonagall, had like, you know, he had like the black kind of like um, Explorer style, like Gibson. So I ended up getting like a black Les Paul copy, yeah. like down the line as like one of my first guitars. But Will McGonagall wore like really cool indigo jeans, shirts, and white like or cream converse and i was like that's got to be my style gotta wear these cool baggy <laughs> jeans the cream converse before vans were widely available and i gotta get a black guitar man and then i remember seeing them that night and going home the next day and saying to jordan like we've got to start a band and that and that was pretty much the birth of tpp do you know and you know we were never even wanted to be called the psychotic pandas I just used to draw this silly little cartoon panda all the time <laughs> as like a mascot for the band in high school. Yeah. Like this panda would be skateboarding, whatever. And we ended up just calling ourselves TPP. Such a dumb name, the psychotic pandas. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that's why you changed it later on. But, um, but was, that, was that how that band started then? Did you just contact the rest of the boys at the time and start jamming in somebody's house or studio or something? Yeah, so I guess I had a, it was actually, it's, we're lucky we pulled it off. It was a failed attempt to start the band. I remember Graham was in my French and my biology class, maybe. And I knew Graham played the drums because he was also in my music class. He wasn't in my music class, but I saw him like in the music hall uh, in, in school. And Graham and I skateboarded together. And so I, you know, I had said to Jordan, who didn't play an instrument, and Graham and all these guys that we skateboarded with, I was like, oh, man, we should start it. We should totally start a band. And so I think the initial, like, layout was myself, this dude, Craig Ridley, who's now this tattooist down in Brighton, and a guy that we uh, were in school with called Andy something. I can't even remember his last name. That's so bad. <laughs> but we had a couple of band practices after school. The music department let us stay, like, for an hour after school. And I came to Graham and this dude andy and this dude craig and i was like yo i have a song idea that i've it, it sound, probably sounds exactly like you know basket case by green day but like, like it's my own original thing let's try it out and so um and so yeah we uh we practiced after school a couple of times never did anything with that because we were so bad <laughs> and we all just we all just started skateboarding instead but then like maybe a year later um, like we like you know the weather was real bad and I 
had gotten a lot better on guitar at the time. <laughs> I could like play a power chord. <laughs> like I drop tune my guitar and I was just like, I can play all these chords with one finger, baby. Here we go. <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah. And Graham was still like up for it. Cause Graham was an amazing drummer. He still is an amazing drummer, but even then he was just like this incredible musician could play bagpipes, keyboard, drums, whatever it was. And so, yeah. So, uh, so we, we ended up starting a band. I think it was just the three of us at the time, myself, Graham, and this, this kid, Craig. And we were writing some original songs and doing some covers. But, dude, I couldn't play guitar and sing at the same time. And originally, I was supposed to be the vocalist for that band. Man, am I stoked that I, that, that ended up not being the case. <laughs> Do you want to hear something real, real goofy? Do you want to know how we got Jordan Spears in the band? Go for it. It's all thank you to him and the album Razorblade Romance. Really? Really. So I remember getting a phone call. I was telling the story to Emily the other night. I remember getting a phone call from Graham. And I knew Jordan, but I didn't like know him a lot. We skateboarded a couple of times, but like he wasn't in any of my classes and like him and I didn't really hang out. But Graham and Jordan lived around the corner from each other when we were kids. And uh, Graham was, I remember Graham calling me and being like, oh my God, I just went around to that Jordan Spears' <laughs> house and he's got like, Guns N' Roses albums. He's got Funeral for a Friend, but probably didn't even have Funeral for a Friend. That's too early. But he's got like uh, all these amazing bands and CDs, man. Like he knows his music. He's cool. He's really cool. And I was like, all right, cool. Tell me more. And then Graham goes, eh, aye, but listen to this. So uh, he's into that band, him. Because we were all obsessed with like him and, CKY and the that. CKY videos and everything and the Jackass videos. Yeah. And right here in my arms, Graham goes, so we put on right here in my arms and Jordan starts singing along. Callum, you want to hear the voice in this boy? He sounds exactly like him. And I was like, sold, invite him to a band practice. Class, man. <laughs> and so we covered right here in my arms. And I remember Jordan walking in. And by the I'm, I mean, we knew each other. We were friends. Like, it's not like I didn't know who yeah. he was. But I remember him coming up on stage, nervous as hell. And saying like, she'll be right here in my arms, like deep as hell. And that was it. And that was the birth of the band. Oh, I love it. The singer. We ended up like a year later finding a way to get Dale in the band. We're just like, well, Dale doesn't play an instrument at the time, but let's buy a keyboard and he can do sound effects in between songs. And then that way, all of our best friends are in the band. <laughs> I remember. I remember Dale being, he was, one, at one gig he was taking photos and then the next gig he was on the stage. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I remember it. the first time, because you were obviously like saying that you loved my band and stuff. And then you told me that you guys were playing and I went to see you guys. And I was obsessed with, you know, for a friend at that point, who, you know, who, yeah. who wasn't, who was into that <laughs> music, you know. Um, so we must have, conversation was like, yeah, we must have started, we must have started the band. I guess in like maybe two years before we met then, or maybe a year before we met, if we started that band when we were like 14 yeah. and a half, 15, we must've met at like, you know, the kind of later half of 15, 16, yeah, sure. when we finally kind of write it, started writing some songs and getting gigs. Yeah. yeah. Cause I remember going to the bar flying, seeing you guys. And uh, I was just like, <laughs> like it was like oh my it, god it not to be like disrespectful but it was so similar to funeral for a friend oh absolutely and i was obsessed with funeral for a friend and this local band of these guys that were now my friends were that were that good and i was like ah! and i remember phoning <laughs> i remember who was the big promoter the big guy with the tash 
back in the day. I can't remember, but if we were playing in Ivory uh, Strawberry Fields again for him, like the next week or something, and I phoned him yeah. that night, and I was like, "Mate, you need to get this band TPP on the bill for this <laughs> week." <laughs> Sorry, mate, the bill's full, can no can do it. Like, oh, no way. But, um, Gutted. but yeah, that's uh, that was obviously a, a memory. What what did like going to shows and playing shows, what did it do for you as a wee guy back then? Because, like, for me, it was just life, man. It was just everything, man. It, yeah, it was life changing. There's no doubt about it. I think if you think about it, like, that was just, I think everyone who was going to shows at that time was probably going through the exact same things that we were going through, getting, you know, beat up in high school, getting made fun of, you know, watching the OC and thinking this is the best thing ever, you know, like, so I think all of a sudden it introduced you to a, a, a group of friends that it wasn't two, three or four people. It was 30 or 40 people. You're like, Oh my God, the dudes from Dumbarton. Amazing. There's guys from air. Fantastic. <laughs> well, there's people who've traveled through from Edinburgh from this show. Holy smokes. And then I oh, will well, go hang out in the cat house after it was amazing just to kind of really introduce uh, something that still to this day is I'm just like so passionate about, man. Like I love live music. I love music and live music, especially just, it holds a real special place in my heart because it really got us out of crappy situations, you know? And, and I think about it, I think about it a lot. Like I'm not a big drinker, never really have been a big drinker. I do not do drugs and don't even think I ever have even tried anything ex except for maybe a little, cheeky bit of devil's lettuce brownies here and there and you know that's a full <laughs> disclaimer from my mom's recipe um but you know like it's just not my scene and i remember like hearing like stories of people from high school being like oh yeah i got fucked up at the weekend i was like y'all are in high school like what the hell why are you taking drugs yeah like what are you doing sneaking drink you're, you're too young to drink and it introduced us to i guess just like this different lifestyle and in a way I, it just kind of kept me away from all that crap like there was the whole straight edge, straight edge scene that hardcore introduced, you know, like it, there were bands who were playing with synths in like a, a metal band or like a punk band or whatever. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. This is, I didn't know that you could actually incorporate this stuff into live music and, and do it live. Like I'd never seen anything like that before. Cause even then a lot of the bands that we were going to see live were five piece bands of two guitars, a bass yeah. singer and a drummer. And so it was really kind of cool to see, what was happening in the music scene in Glasgow, especially way back then. And, and again, to this day, still so connected to so many people who I met back then. And man, I still listen to all the old Azriel demos. I've got somewhere, not on this Mac, but on my old Mac, what was the song, the demo from the, when my actions, your exit, like all the bleach blonde hair and like yeah. all the others, I've got those demos yeah, still yeah. saved. And I still listen to all that stuff all the time. The thing that strikes me with that stuff is like, you know, you you could um, produce a better quality song than we were paying like six hundred pounds for a track. <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? But yeah, but yeah. yeah, what but what what unbelievable memories, man! For me, it was obviously the best times of my life back then. You know, a wee guy, I literally left school just so I could play in the band more, so I could go to gigs. Yeah, I could just work to have money to go to gigs. But then, obviously, for me, I fell into drinking too much, and that. Looking back, it ruined a lot of my experiences of not remembering gigs, getting kicked out of gigs, yeah. not, not playing shows properly because I was too drunk. 
In fact, I remember one, uh, I don't actually remember, but I got told this one gig at the Barfly when Jim used to play for us, uh, <laughs> that he had to move my hand on the fretboard because I was that drunk. I was just playing the wrong chord. But like, oh, the, my the, you know, looking back, obviously regret yeah. that, that whatever. But for you, you never really, in fact, I don't think you drank at all back then. Man, I, I probably had a sniff of Mad Dog in the woods when I was 12. Yeah, you know, someone's older brother and was like, "No, I'm out." Not, not for you. <laughs> so, like, I think for me, like thinking about me and John and all the guys, fit air and color, we all yeah. loved, we all loved the madness of getting a baby, a gig and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> what was your like? What was your what was your view from that? Did you look at us and think, "What is wrong with you guys?" Or were you just like, "No, I don't know." Like, cool. <laughs> I don't think I ever thought what's wrong with you guys because I mean. There's people who, I mean, alcohol is one hell of a thing, but then there's like the other side of it. Like, like when you're taking pills or whatever, and that was the side that I was like really not into. Yeah. So, and because like, you know, like a whole bunch of, my dad was a really big social drinker. So I don't think I ever like had this reticence or hesitation around alcohol. It wasn't really like a, Oh, I don't want to drink because I don't like alcohol. I think it was just a, I think I've just kind of grown up with it and I know that it's not really my thing. Yeah. And so for me, like, you know, when everyone was getting drunk, I was like, sick, this is great. I always kind of like being the goofball who could then laugh about it the next day with everyone be like, Oh my gosh, dude, you were so, so wasted, man. And then and that's then, me now. <laughs> yeah. Um so and and I think was I I wasn't one of the first of our group to drive like obviously as we all got older but I think I had my my mom let me use her car and so like we could go to a friend's house and everyone would drink but then I would drive us back to Airdrie or like drive us around from whatever it was so it just never was this thing that I got into but man those times were incredible the parties down in air you kidding me? <laughs> Unbelievable, man. You know, it was, it was so cool because there was always something going on. You know, there was either yeah. something in Glasgow, you know, even if it was just meeting up in Central at a gig, or then somebody like Jack, for, you know, for, for, yeah. what was their band called? A bit of sweet moment, moment or tricks are for kids. He'd be like, I've got a party back at my yeah. house because his parents were so fucking cool. They would, let, they would literally <laughs> let like 20 guys. <laughs> and girls back to get wrecked at their house. Or yeah. you had the boys for Curlook. Somebody would have a party there. Yeah. Um, there was just, it was just an amazing fucking scene, man. Like, And one was, of the things that I think I, brought us together was the fact that we were all a bunch of idiots when we were kids. Whether we drank or not, like, yeah. we all went to these same parties. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, whether, whether we went over our limits or whether we were just there as, you know, a participant, like, we all still were there and we all... Yeah experienced it together and i think like you know when you think about it now you and me are still fucking tight as hell dude like we're still good friends despite all the crazy circles that we've been in in our lives and you know and we can still talk to all these dudes for me man it was just such a it was such a release like i went through school being let's just say different because i was like alternative i was a mosher um and i never really I didn't really have, I had like, I had lost for words, had the band, but like never, never really had many other friends. So then when I started going to these gigs and meeting all these people that had these similar interests to me, and we all loved these bands and it was like emo music. So we were getting yeah. all emotional about what it. What a community. And then we had like 
festival, I'd go to Leeds Festival and Taste of Chaos, give it a name. Yeah. You know, and it was all these core guys from like Scotland that were all playing gigs with each other every week, it seemed like. And then it was just a amazing thing. And, they, you know, everybody's doing their own thing these days. And, you know, we're still all friends at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, it was amazing to have but, that, I think, to, to look yeah. forward to most weekends. And Oh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. There was the escapism. Dude, like part of the reason, you know, whether whether we had a band or not, I think we were always going to be the guys who got out of Airdrie because, and we, you know, my, my parents were not at all well off. You know, like the guys, I mean, I can't really speak for anybody else, but we weren't in a, like I was fortunate. My parents, you know, God, they they did what they could you know, to make ends meet for my sister and I, but like at the end of the day, dude, we were still in a town that was falling apart, going out of business and had people that just wanted to beat you up the second you walked out of your house. Dude, I got beat up on my own front doorstep one day uh, for skateboarding, which I forgot to say about, Um, but that was just Airdrie. So it was really exciting to get out of there and meet people who, yeah, who weren't going to beat you up and who were totally accepting of who you were. For sure, man, for sure. Uh, Okay, what, uh, at what point, Did TPP transition into Flooded Ed because it seemed like TPP were obviously we were very young, um, oh, too local young. local band just playing kind of local gigs and then they changed the name to Flooded Ed and things just started to happen, man. Like oh, apart from stealing a certain band's bass player, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, there's history here. <laughs> no, I'd like yeah. it all. It all serious. This band, how you know what? What was the thought? Did they just think we need to change the name? We need to we need to do something different. What was what happened there? Dude, we were just growing up. You know, as silly as it sounds, I think everything was just kind of coming to a point in our lives when we realized none of us were doing well in school. You know, I think our bass player at the time, Craig, was going through so many things in his personal life that he was very much just not there. We all loved the escapism. We all loved the community. We all loved everything that music was like affording us and and showing us, you know? So I think it was just like, I remember like in fifth year of high school being just like, dude, like, is there any way we can do this? Like after school, like, are you guys going to college or are you guys going to university? Like, should we even have that conversation? And I think in, it probably would have been sixth year of high school was when we started to think about changing the name of the band because we were getting quite a few like local shows. So like we were doing like bigger shows in Glasgow, which was cool. We were getting like support slots in high school, which was kind of crazy. Um, which was actually, when you think about that, like we were getting like you, a U.S. band would fly over on Roadrunner Records and play a show in the bar fly or the cat house and float a, uh, you know, TPP would be asked to play and we'd have to go and be like, oh yeah, we're called the Psychotic Pandas. <laughs> you know, so it was like, we're like, man, we got to kind of think about this if we want to do it seriously. I think we all just had that conversation that we could go on to college and university but none of us were excited about it at the time our bass player was kind of disappearing jim mcgowan who was the original bass player for lost for words you know had said that he was interested in getting into heavier music and so we knew that our original bass player wasn't going to be able to do this show so jim had said yeah man we were all friends like i can play bass and he came along to a couple of band practices and and yeah, and so he ended up looking to join Flutter Red and or what became Flutter Red. And I think at that point we were just it was this culmination, a <laughs> culmination yeah, of all the stuff just that we were experiencing. And it was like, right, we gotta change the name from TPP because it sucks. 
man. And do you know the story of how we got to Flutter Red? Dumb story. So Flood of Red or A Flood of Red is a song by a band called Annual Notes by the Trail of Dead, which we love. But we all had different ideas for what the band should be called. And we all wrote it down on pieces of paper, ripped it up, put it into a hat. <laughs> My parents picked the name out of the hat. Flood of Red was what came out and we all went, nah, we don't like that. So <laughs> my parents <laughs> back in, pulled it out again. What, so what shaman to... magic is going on here? Cause I, I swear it was only written in there once. <laughs> so you just so went we, for it. So we stuck with it. And then for a lifetime, people were asking us, hey, is your band named after a girl's period? Is that what <laughs> Red is? Like, no, <laughs> like it's, it's a long story anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, at this stage, you know, are you looking to be in a band full time? Is this what the goal was? At, at this point, absolutely, dude. We sat down with our parents. I think everyone went home after band practice and sat down with our parents. We're like, yo, don't want to go to college. Don't want to go to university. We want to buy a van and look at getting some shows. Jim had joined the band and he wasn't working or, or at school. Sean wasn't in school. I think he was at like community college and was there like three days a week. And we were getting all these gigs. We were like, yo, like MySpace is evolving. We should really try reaching out to like promoters in other cities and see, see if we can do anything with it. And I remember it was a difficult conversation I think everyone had with their parents trying yeah. to like say, hey, you wanted me to be that orthodontist son? Nah, I want to pick up a guitar and, and do that. And, you know, I think a lot of our parents were supportive. I think there were times where they probably hated the fact that they let us do it. But I remember it was kind of like a lot of parents had said, like, cool, we'll give you guys a year. Think of it as a gap year. And if, it's, if it doesn't work out, then you all got to get jobs or go back to schooling or something. So, yeah, so we bought a van. Like, I remember – we finished high school sixth year we finished in june 2005 and we had our first tour booked three and a half weeks long in august of 2005 and on that tour we ended up playing shows with inner shikari who i mean look at this the amazing career that shikari yeah. had and that was super inspiring for us seeing a band you know, again, super different. Here's like this kind of hardcore band with catchy choruses and they have a synth and like almost like this concept behind what they're doing. Yeah, and it was, it was super inspiring for us at that time to think like they're also traveling around in a van and they're also communicating with people on MySpace and they're also, so it was like, yeah. we became really good friends with them real quick, but that was like, we were very fortunate to have that all kind of set up in place in August of 2005. You know, my mom drove me on that tour. Just you? Yeah, sorry, she drove us on that tour. Drove me around. I think I do remember that at the time. I remember my mom's driving as I was None of us none of us had a license or were old enough to drive. So so my mom was just like, Okay, boys, I'll sleep in the front, y'all sleep in the back. It was the most awful. So at this point, did you guys have like a big fan base? Were you still the kind of support act? I can't really think to that time. I'm pretty sure you that time you were still pretty big, no? I mean, it starts, to, it, it really blurred quite quickly between 2005 to 2007. Cause I think there's like different tiers to it. I think in Glasgow, I don't want to, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, no, but I think it, definitely man. we were getting more shows than a lot of other bands were getting. We were getting a lot of support slots than say a lot of other more bands were getting. 
and we had bought a van. You know, we had bought a van. And that we was were a big thing back then. It was huge. And the receipt was made out to flood of bread because <laughs> the guy didn't hear what I was like saying to him. 2,000 pounds. We bought this crappy old police van and we could put our guitars in the back of it and drive to the bar fly. Excellent. But I think we were like just so committed to kind of doing it so that we became a little bit, I don't want to say we became bigger than Glasgow, but it almost kind of felt like, right, well, we can't put Flutter Red on that show because they're going to do this show that we're doing yeah. next month. And it, it kind of all, we, and all we wanted to do was play. So we started reaching out to other people and, and yeah, and other, other promoters, our first show down in, uh, down in the Kingston Peel was with the blackout. I'm pretty sure the dudes who ended up becoming Yumi at six, three of them were at that show. Like, so it is mental when you kind of start saying, wow, when you think about it, these shows started becoming, and we started meeting people who were in other situations, yeah. kids who didn't get on in school, people who skateboarded, guys who listened to alternative music. And so it was really, really cool at that point to kind of start just blowing up. Yeah, for and, sure. But yeah, 2005 to 2007 was just a whirlwind, man. We got signed. We, we had managers. We got yeah. signed to Smithtown Records. Like, is that one EP, two EPs? We, we had self-released a whole bunch of stuff. So man, I mean, we could probably talk about MySpace for a thousand years, but MySpace <laughs> back then was yeah. like the be all Mental. and end all. Like Mental. you got to get your music on MySpace. We were big on pure volume as well, which kind of helped us introduce us to a couple of bands from the States. But that was like a real big thing to have like music on your MySpace so that people could check you out. So we had self-released, you know, stuff. So like literally we would sit in my mom's, you know, kitchen printing CDs yeah. and we would just saved up money from working various summer jobs or whatever to, to record. And so a lot of that stuff was self-released and it wasn't until 2007 we had signed to small town records. I remember. And that was when we released the EP Lost in the Light. And that was Flood of Reds, technically like first label release, first release. Yeah. And it was great. Dude, we had a music video from Sitcom Soldiers. It was on fucking VH1 and all these channels. It was insane. It was yeah, crazy. So we had like interviews in the press. Sorry, you were saying. Sorry, was that the video you were in the kind of abandoned building? I'm pretty sure every single video we did was in an abandoned oh, area <laughs> of the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, we were in an old, it was just like an old empty building or like a building that was still halfway being built. And if you look closely in a couple of clips of the video, you can see out the window, the bright yellow and orange of a shell sign from like the, the petrol station across the road. But yeah, we all wore our favorite band t-shirts, you know, to that music video. I did a guitar swing because I was like, this is going to be so oh, sick, dude. Amazing, man. <laughs> I remember, you know, you guys were very good to us. You know, we were never a big band. We had a small core of fans that liked our music um, and we were pretty popular on MySpace, but not big enough to be able to you know sustain tours and stuff off but you guys were always really good to us man you guys gave us the best well apart from a, a few of you meet six you guys gave us the best mm. shows we had man i remember in 2006 it was january 2006 yeah uh, you guys took us out man we played um we played the was this the one it was was this flood of red my actions your exit Asriel, no, Yashin. no, different no, tour. But remember that was two thousand and that was two thousand and seven. Because I was thirty one F at that point. 
That's sure. right. Whereas this one, I was in Kelvin Grove. This is where I go off mm. everything, where, what flat yeah. I lived in. That's how I remember all the years. Because <laughs> I remember you took us out in January <laughs> of that. It was just after New Year. Uh, yeah, and I was yeah. at a New Year's party. And I was out my face. And I fell downstairs. And I fucked my arm. And I was like, that's oh right. my God, I'm not going to be able to go on tour. But I remember I, I that. Because you were worried about playing. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was like, you guys must have been pretty big then, man. Because the venues were sweet. Like We played... Ironworks and Inverness, which is like what a thousand, a thousand plus cap or something. Yeah, yeah and it was crazy. really, and it was really busy. I remember we were sound checking, and there was a guy like swinging on cables for the lights, asking <laughs> where we lights, wanted these yeah. lights. And I was like, "Mate, <laughs> fucking do what you want, man!" Like, I don't know. Just turn them on. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Glasgow show, I think, it was King Tut's potentially. Yeah, it was sold out. It was sold out, and uh, yeah, man, I think. Aberdeen Mashulu. Oh, that was rammed. That was rammed. That, that was an amazing gig, man. Um, yeah, just amazing. And then you took us out again when it was uh, so random. My actions, pop punk, for the red, Azrael, heavy. Metalcore, yeah. Yashin, like. Like mad, kind of mad. commercial metalcore, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was so much fun, like amazing. But um, yeah. I guess man. you guys were just doing it to be kind to us, but it was something I, I that I even... always really appreciated, man that's very kind of you to remember that so fondly. Like, I don't even think it was anything for us being like, Oh, we should take these bands out. I think it was just, man, these dudes are the dudes we grew up with. Why wouldn't we still yeah, want to yeah. play shows with them? So I think there was a lot of that. I mean, especially to this day, like I still talk to Andy Robertson from Asriel, like Richard from Asriel yeah, yeah. originally, you know, and a million other kind of amazing Glasgow bands growing up. Like he, him and Kim are, you know, so intertwined with, everything bad luck does like yeah it is just such a tight-knit circle like these are people that i grew up with why would i and they're great people you know why would i not want to still talk to them and hang out with them and play shows with them all the time of course man so like it, so you're talking 2007 was that when you were in the band would you say that that was when you were at the most popular like where you I thought think, yeah 2007 2008 was definitely kind of like well, it's, it's difficult. 2007, 2008 was like peak because Screamo was such a big thing. So there was course. like a million and one all day festivals, Ghost Fest, you know, Taste of Chaos. Oh, fuck. Like what, was the, what was the festival? Those videos of and you're in the tent and it's so many people there. Heavy fest? Fucking crazy. Nah. Download? Download, download, yeah, download. Like, yeah. How many people were in that tent? Well, that tent, the first time we played Download in 2007... I think it was a 3,500 capacity tent, maybe more, maybe 4,000 if we're lucky. Yeah. yeah and it was, I, we couldn't believe it that's was. Um, that's so many people. Man. And we played so bad. <laughs> Dude, if you listen to the audio, man, I'm pretty sure my guitar was out of tune for three songs minimum. It doesn't really matter back then. Does it? Everyone's just going off their head loving it anyway. Oh, geez. Thinking about that. I was wearing jorts. So like jean shorts <laughs> and a sleeveless t-shirt. Bald as fuck. Just sweating away. Man. Yeah, we peaked 2007. That was it. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the kind of biggest tours that you had back then? Was it what? Because you must have played and toured with some big bands, man. Yeah, dude. I remember there was a there was a tour that we were meant to be doing with Penknife Love Life, who were very of the time. And on that tour, there was like loads of shows with Early Bring Me the Horizon. 
So, but we had so much fan drama and fan troubles throughout our entire, you know, Flutter Red careers that we actually had to pull out of that tour because we just, we could not financially afford. Oh, we were broken down for three days. We, we had to sleep on the side of the road in the van effectively waiting for a fix because we couldn't afford to, to, to fix the engine and all the troubles that we had. And back then van hire wasn't so, I think that was summer 2006, maybe summer 2007, but it was really difficult back then. But I think some of the, some of the biggest tours that we ever did and definitely one of my, I mean, some of the shows that we've done with Enter Shikari over the years, those shows were incredible. We do different like student unions, which can be anywhere between, you know, 800 to, you know, 4,000 capacity venues. Amazing. And they were, they were incredible, incredible. And ever so kind to us, you know, getting, you know, kind of doing what we were doing. Some of the shows we did with the blackout, absolutely amazing shows. Just some of the nicest, funniest dudes ever. Um, but I think the one that always, always sticks out for us, uh, certainly when I was in the band, was the Amity Affliction tour that we did in Australia in 2010. Oh. So by this point, we had released Leaving Everything Behind, the first album. And we were on tour with the Amity Affliction, who we had met. We had toured with them in the UK and with a band called We Are the Ocean and All Forgotten, which was an amazing, amazing tour in 2009. But then we did this tour with them in Australia. And I think none of us knew how big they were in Australia. Because yeah. those shows were like anywhere between minimum capacity 1,000 to like maximum capacity 5,000, wow. 5,500. And not only were we playing with the Amity Affliction, but we were playing with misery signals. Fuck. Man, they are just one of the most influential, incredible bands. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for anyone who's ever been into heavy music, whether it's punk, hardcore, metalcore, heavy metal, whatever it is, misery signals were just one of those bands that everyone is like, yeah, they, they deserve the crown. And we got to tour with those guys. And so that was insane in Australia <laughs> with, you know, misery signals, insane, you know, playing in front of like minimum a thousand people a night that was unreal. And that was, and that was, uh, I think that was a very, like when I reflect back on it now, I think that was a very interesting tour as well, which I, I think I'll tell you about a little bit later. Cause I think you'll probably ask me about leaving the band. Yeah, sure, man. I'm going to go back the way to back to 2008, nine or whatever. Sure. Obviously you're still young. You guys are a popular band. Shows are always busy, crazy. At this point, do you think that, you're gonna like make it bigger do you think that you, do you were you making money at that point did you think you were gonna make mm -hmm. money like what was your thought process that because you hadn't released the album yet but the screamo scene was so big and you guys were it was big, big yeah. in it like and it was almost so oversaturating at a point there was just like every band was like a screamo by numbers or a metalcore by numbers band at this point like there was just, there just happened to be a new myspace yeah. page with your new favorite band like every week sort of thing um i think going back then I don't, I don't ever think that we thought that we were ever going to like live off of it. it. That was certainly like the dream. Who doesn't want to be in a band forever, man? Who doesn't want to? And to all of our friends who have made that a reality for them, man, the hard work has paid off because they've been doing it since we were, you know, for 15 years plus. Um, but I think back then it was just a case of we just wanted to be able to keep doing it. And that, and that was like a large part of it. We never took like money out of the band that we didn't need. Like, you know, whatever money we made from shows, 
we'd put it back into fuel for the van, van hire if our van was broken down, you know, van maintenance if our van was broken down. We put it into getting the worst merchandise ever printed and then not selling <laughs> any of it. And then, you know, I th- and then studio space so that we could actually have somewhere to go and write and record and like, you know, demo music and everything. So that was like largely where we weren't, you know, we were all still living at home or living with, you know, our girlfriends or whatever it was at the time. And, you know, it's not like we were buying new clothes. It was t-shirt swaps from other bands. I probably had the same skinny H&M jeans that I had, you know, on my legs for about three years. Cause I was like sick. These are my skinny jeans done. Yeah. So at that time, I don't ever think it was like, we're going to financially benefit from this. And dude, we were, we, we didn't have the access at the time to think about building the band as a brand which if you think about now, like all these bands that come out, there's all this hype that you build up. There's all so many social media platforms. There's almost like, how do you market yourself as a band now? Whether your music's good or not, we just wanted to, man, get out of Airdrie. We just wanted to see the world, meet people, play music, and and continue doing that for as long as we could do. How did you find being on these crazy tours and having so much fun to come back to real life and like maybe going to work or just not playing music. Was it really hard for you? Oh, hands down. And I think again, that was, that was largely, you know, again, not to, to, to spoiler alert, that's part of the reason why I left the band. And I think there was, it was really difficult to find this balance of like, yeah, to still say so enthusiastic about something that became what felt it, 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 there was a period where it felt really difficult because, you know, there's that famous quote, whatever it says, you know, like there's only, you know, there's only so much darkness so that you know that light exists or something like whatever it is, it's kind of cool, but it, you know, it talks about the benefit of a balance and the, the whole plus and minus of good and bad. And yeah, like there were times where we didn't have the money to go on tour or we were really, we didn't have money to record or we were out of pocket to do this or, or to go and we'd get invited to go and play this festival, but we couldn't cause we couldn't afford the van hire, the fuel cost just for a one, one day trip yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. And so a lot of that was really kind of, disheartening at the time and we i should mention we didn't have a label yeah we signed to small town records in 2007 to release that ep but that was it when we released the album we did that ourselves as like a joint it was like an independent label that was a joint partnership with our management company at the time and our management company got bought over by hmv who were just buying 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 and then HMV realized that they were broke as hell and ended up like cutting the cord on all the things that they had just bought. So everyone's bank account was frozen. All of a sudden, our manager didn't have a job. We, our, our record label, you know, I say with parenthesis, like our record label stopped existing. Our, the money that we had was frozen in someone else's bank account. And then it was like, cool, now we all got to go to work if we want to try and work. <laughs> you know, if we want to play music, then we have to be, then we have to get jobs to do that. Yeah, I, I only got a very, very small taste of what it was like to be in a band, you know, with, we played some amazing shows over the, over the piece and had some cool tours, but it wasn't as anywhere near as much as what you guys got. And I really struggled with that. Like I struggled with um, probably part of the reason why I fell into drinking so much is because, yeah. you know, music made, music made me so happy. Playing music is all I ever wanted to do, man. You know, I had no career. I had no other goals or anything. I just wanted to fucking play with the boys, man. And yeah. uh, when I wasn't doing that, I just wasn't happy. And I would, 
you know, the only thing that would seem fun to me would be boozing. And uh, I think it would throw a blessing in disguise that we never maybe got any further because if, if we did get further but not quite enough to live off, it would be even worse. And it would be like, you know, just constant depression when I wasn't touring or whatever because yeah. how many podcasts or bands do you know of that they, you know any people in the band are like got so many problems because they just can't deal with non-touring yeah. life or tour they tour so much it's a constant party and then they come off it and it's just like ah oh, man and there's so many great organizations that are out there helping musicians and people in that position now which is incredible but again i don't maybe we just didn't know about it at the time but like we didn't have access to i i you know, didn't know that there was a, a musicians union or whatever it was, or a mental health organization to help out with musicians when they came off the road. And yeah, I didn't even know what mental health was back then. Man, yeah, it's, it's, I was just like, I, I'm sad. I'm gonna drink <coughs> to solve that sadness. I love, I want to play music, but I'm not. So fuck it, type thing. I never even knew yeah. what these, you know, all the things, all the awareness that we have now. I don't feel. Maybe, I don't, not that it wasn't a thing, but maybe it's just because we didn't, we don't have all these social media platforms. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we've all grown up and we can all kind of, I think what's really important that you've just kind of touched on there is the hindsight, the, the reflection. You know, you're looking back and saying, man, had music continued to take you down one path in your life, it probably would have then very drastically changed who you are as a person now, oh, and, you know, now that we're, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, there's, and yeah, it's it's good ride when you're there, but unfortunately, there's there is like a dark side to, you know, to the music industry, and and oh. a lot of it is how it takes toll on your brain and on how I, it takes toll on your body, and and that's and that's really one of the saddest things, you know, it's that whole life of a rock star that everyone's like, yeah, it must be so sick, yeah, it's sick, but at the end of the day, you've got to find that balance, and it's got to be the thing that makes you happy. It can't be yeah. the thing that that you know takes you to another place. Yeah, man, I was actually. Um... I was actually listening to a podcast with AJ from the Dangerous Summer. Yeah, the other day. Um, Big Flutter Red fan, apparently. Is he? Yeah, amazing, he came man. up to me one day. He was like, "Yo, you're the guy from Flutter." I was like, "Shut up!" Oh, amazing man. <laughs> well, you know, I, was, I mentioned this every time we mentioned Dangerous Summer, but we supported them in Edinburgh. Mm. That's our last ever show. Um, we had already broke up, but we got asked to support Dangerous Summer, and I was like, "We got to do it." So yeah, that was that was like the, the last for the last show ever. For how much I love that band now, to look back on that, it was amazing. But yeah, listen to that podcast with him, man, and he was talking like he they took a break, they took four years off, yeah, um, and he went and got a nine to five so he could afford to support his family and stuff because he was wasn't making money and there yeah. was issues with the band member at the time. So they took four years off. That band member got actually he's in jail or he's, he got jailed, and they started the band again with a different guitarist. Yeah, I was uh, going to say it was the other guitarist, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I remember. Yeah, we, yeah, and the stuff about that. They've been back, and he's saying that he <laughs> just loves music so much now, and he's got so much passion back for it. But he did have to say, yeah. he was like, he did have to say, he was like, look. I'm broke as fuck. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. have much money, uh, and I'm drinking all the time because I'm on yeah. tour all the time. So it's constant partying. So it's just kind of like, fuck, man. Like, on the yeah, outside, it can the... look such an amazing thing, but there's so, yeah. so many fucking broken people because of that lifestyle. It's insane, <laughs> man. But yeah, you're totally right. Again, one of the benefits is that it does, it kind of puts you in this community of other people who have gone through so many similar things. And that's amazing that you can talk to so many people and get 
now just some of the most amazing support that's ever been available. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, dude, there's, there, there is that whole kind of like, yeah, you know, punk rock music, rock music, screamo, emo, whatever it is, indie rock and roll, man, it's all so, it's all so amazing, but there absolutely is an element of it. You got to be careful with it because yeah. it is a, a dangerous lifestyle or can become a dangerous lifestyle. Well, you yeah, always there's, there's to absolutely be... no money, money in it. <laughs> like, not a goddamn dime, dude. Well, I remember getting my first paycheck when I was working zero hour contracts in Starbucks in between like, you know, the record label going up in flames and us not, you know, having to cancel tours. I was like, fuck, dude, I had Stephen Hill from Struggle Town Records, nicest dude in the world. What a guy. Gave me a, gave me a, he was, he was working in Starbucks and he's like, yeah, we've got a zero hour contract. We can fill some shifts. I remember getting like, you know, the 80 pounds from that and being like, oh my God, I can actually go buy guitar strings. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Class. So, um, okay. So for the red, pretty big in the scene, awesome shows, awesome tours. Mm. You went and recorded an album in America. Am I right in saying okay. that? Sure, yes, we yeah. did. We, Am I right in saying it was, was it Boston? It was Maryland, so it was Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore that's, the one, yeah. that's the one. So yeah, man, like that must have been a massive, massive thing to do and excite, excitement and going to America to do it, man. Like talk us through that. Dude, that was the scariest thing. I didn't even have a job at Starbucks then at that time. I, I ended up working. I got a temp shift at game in the Olympian Shopping Center in East Kilbride so that I would have money to be able to eat when we were recording in Baltimore. Because Jeez, we, oh man. we were on this, this kind of like partisan thing with them, with our management and this independent record, record label that we were working on. And so that was what afforded us to go over and, and record in the States but that was one of the most incredible and scariest times of my life. And it actually changed me as a musician. I learned so much from Brian McTiernan, who is the producer who we went over to record with. And I should note, you know, Flutter Red, yep, kind of emo, screamo band, um, alternative band, heavily influenced by bands like Thrice, Circus Survive, um, you know, of course, Under Oath and all these other amazing references. Um, but Brian McTiernan basically did you know, my discography growing up, he did all my favorite thrice records. He did the circus survive records. He did the movie life. He did, you know, all these bands that I was like listening to. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy is gonna, he likes the demos that I play guitar on. He likes the song that I sent him shut the front door. No way. <laughs> and going over there and listening to what he had to teach us as like, cause we were, that was 2000. And if the album came out in 2009, I mean, my memory is so bad now as an old man. Like, we must have been 20, 21 at the oldest that we were yeah. over there. That's you know? So that was, that was insane. So at that point, going over to America, that's a big commitment. Were you, were you, still, yeah. were you still hoping, were you, was the hope that the album would take off and propel you onto a bigger stage, or was it just purely for an experience? Oh, absolutely. I think at this point, again, it's important to, I think, remember what the music scene was like in the United Kingdom back then. So, like... We like Kerrang was the institution, you know, like Kerrang magazine, Kerrang TV, whatever it was. You had to have your music videos out there. You had to be getting your interviews. You had to be talking about your album. Yeah. And we were like, how do we do this? And there was this amazing kind of like, 
you know, Yumi at six, Inner Bring Me the Horizon, Architects, The Excerpts, all these bands that we all grew up with. And then all the ones that kind of fell along the wayside, you know, who aren't still around to this day. A lot of these bands were all working on, if not their first records, but their second records. And we felt really kind of like, oh man, we had all this music. And by the time we got out to Baltimore to record, it was just the scariest time ever. But at that point it was like, okay, we're here. We cannot mess this up. We cannot like take this for granted. And, um, and so like literally for about 30, I think it was 31 days that we were over there. Exactly. You know, from 8am till 8pm, we'd be in the studio, like pre-production recording, mixing, trying new things. We wrote songs out there with Brian. Um, you know, and, and when he went home at the end of the night, we would all stay up and, continue playing, continue writing, continue like trying new things and everything, trying to find tones, all that dumb stuff. So yeah, it was a huge, I think that was a huge moment for us. We were like, we can't really screw this up. We can't afford to, you know, people have taken a chance on us so we can't let them down effectively. And, and at that point it was like, yeah, there's a fan base to this as well. Like it's not just our music anymore. Like we could write the songs that we, and of course that's what we did. We wrote the songs that we wanted to write but i think it's also like yeah you know, people are kind of like depending on us to release a record and to do well you know everyone's pushing for you you can't screw it up you've got a booking agent now you've got a manager you've got press people so that was insane pressure was insane for like a 20 year old kid who just wanted to get out of airdrie <laughs> you know <laughs> Fuck. so what how do you feel it went like in terms of like the, the releasing it and what it done oh so again yeah I mean, that is one of my proudest achievements. Literally, the, the the album's framed right there on the wall behind me, and I have another framed copy of it, you know, in another room. That album changed our lives for sure. Was it the album that everybody wanted? Probably not. It certainly wasn't a screamo record at the end of it when we came out of, you know, when we came out of that. Um, you know, there was barely a, a an aggressive Jordan Spears on the record. It was yeah, it was a loud record. It was an alternative record. You know, the music was definitely. It had that post-hardcore emo kind of screamo passion. But we went in this kind of like, we found what we were actually really comfortable with. And we, we discovered that Jordan could actually sing really well. And we wanted to do these big atmospheric songs that were powered by guitar and Jordan's voice. And we feel that we all really did that with leaving everything behind for sure. The, the heartbreak of leaving everything behind is, again, so we got it all set up to go. Literally, it was in... The vinyls were getting printed, the CDs were getting made. We had like a future release date. We're doing all that work for it, recording music videos for it. And this is when HMV bought over the Mama Group who owned our, um, our management label. They also own the Barfly. So that's the reason why the Barflies are no longer around because they just started closing everything, cutting oh, the cord on all these things. And so, um, so yeah, so eight, so like literally the month before we were about to release this record, maybe a month and a half before we were about to release this record, everything was cut. We just cut, pushed out of the plane, no parachute, no direction. You know, our manager loses his job. You know, our booking agent then is kind of like, well, you know, if you guys aren't going to be able to release a record, we might not be able to book your shows. It just, it scattered everything. And then, so we had no really other choice. We didn't really know what to do because we couldn't afford to pay, you know, with a frozen bank account, we can afford to do anything to like pay for all this stuff. So, so we ended up releasing the album for like a pay what you want thing online. Yeah. And that 
was cool and it put a, a, a lot of people went for it and the vinyl was available at our shows but we never really actually had like a physical release date like i can't turn around and say the album came out on this day <laughs> like you know of this year and then it wasn't until maybe a year later when you know thankfully we had uh, some really good friends at rock sound magazine who took a chance on us and they re-released the album free with rock sound magazine and for a lot of people a lot of people thought that was our first record a lot of people thought it was our second record a lot of people <laughs> were like so it was very confusing to a lot of people who maybe yeah. hadn't heard of us and that was like one of those weird things that kind of this is a weird hiccup on the road this is a weird wave to ride this is a yeah. bit crazy my um like i think it's an amazing album and i only kind of realized that when i saw went to the gig at the tups yeah um, and watched it live then so, totally sober um because you know when it came out um my memory is a bit foggy of that kind of time in my life and all honestly yeah. um but i do remember at the time there was this whole big thing of like for the red have changed their sound like they're not heavy anymore yeah they're they're they're, they're, <laughs> they're ambient and all this kind of stuff like Obviously, for you guys writing the writing the record, that's a really positive thing because you're progressing to the band that you want to be, which is what bands do and should yeah. do. But obviously, there's all there was that whole side of it of there's it's not heavy anymore, or it's not screaming anymore. Yeah. Um, do, what was your take on that? Do you would you feel that, that that's what happened, or do you think it, <laughs> you know? What, did you feel a difference at your shows and stuff after that? After you changed the sound. I mean, yeah, there were definitely a whole bunch of people. There were like a bunch of screamo purists who were like, man, this record sucks. There's nothing <laughs> on it. I'm not going to listen to it. Like, you know, it was like that whole kind of idea that like we're, you know, how dare you identify yourself as a screamo band, man. <laughs> but man, we were just, there's like, there's kind of like two parts to it that we kind of always laugh about. Number one, we realized Jordan Spears could sing because for the longest time, Jordan was always just <gasps> screaming his ass off, you know, just clenching hard as hell belting out like the deepest roughest like throaty vocals you could ever do and he was amazing at it but the other side was he actually really could sing quite well and so he was singing and it sounded amazing like really really good and the producer was like why are you guys not utilizing that let's sing everywhere and then we'll do some heavier vocals later um, and, and that was really exciting to us because when we'd listen to it back on these big speakers in this big fancy studio and your producers going, yeah, man, this sounds so good. You're just like, yeah, this sounds so good. This sounds like the songs that we've wanted to write, you know, yeah. and never been able to do until now. The other side of it is we literally ran out of time and we had only recorded a handful of kind of like screamy ish or like kind of like deeper, more aggressive vocals for that record. Yeah. We had to fly back to the States. I think there was a, there was a, or sorry, fly, fly back to Scotland. There was a point when we were like, oh, maybe we can get Jordan back into a, a studio in Scotland to do some overdubs over the masters or the mixes that we're getting back. But it just never really happened. And then when we, when we played them live, like it felt good. The, like the atmosphere that we were trying to create, like this kind of moody, big, like we wanted to be as ferocious and powerful as like Mogwai but then still be like uh, aggressive and upbeat as all the bands that we grew up listening to like thrice and under oath. So we kind of just found like this really kind of nice middle ground for us. And it's really weird. Like looking back at it now, I don't want to say that at all, 
we knew it, but like, I kind of do believe that we were ahead of the curve ever so slightly of like what other bands were doing back then. Because if you, if you think about all the bands that have gone through their musical journeys, there's really only a handful of them that haven't at least at some part tried to adapt their sound. Like even architects, one of the most insane and amazing, like metalcore bands, like, you know, heavy, heavy band, like they had, they had a couple albums where they were like experimenting with different things to yeah, find sure. the right sound for them. And I think we were just, when we got out to the States to record that record, we were in this stage where we were listening to so much music, inspired by so much stuff. We had traveled all over and we just wanted to write this record that we knew was going to be so sick. And we did. And like, honestly, to this day, still so proud of that record. But there were, it was, I don't ever think it was an intentional change for us to kind of like, lighten up the sound if you will okay. um but yeah there's definitely like i said those purists who are like man these guys suck ass <laughs> yeah as i say my memory is slightly foggy from it all but i just do remember there was a lot of chat about that about you know people not happy like the fans yeah. like some of the hardcore fans as you, as you would kind of call them yeah we're getting um, the myspace comments yeah man, so come to another show but people I will say this, the people who came to the shows, like, so once we released the record, you know, once the album was out for people to listen to and people were, you know, there was a percentage or a fraction of people who were disappointed at the sound of Flood of Red. You know, a lot of people who came out to see us, though, were still like, man, you guys killed it. You guys are so good live. And that was one of our other strengths is we really took pride in our live show. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and Jordan, you know, he would scream here and there. Or he like, you know, I say scream, not like, ah! but like, you know, he'd be like, he'd, really passionately do those vocals and but it was i think we just we found that right balance for our sound at the time man i always thought jordan had a great singing voice like from the yeah. even back in the early early days i always loved the singing parts you know because you know i loved i always loved that that vibe of the screaming into the singing now you know i've always been a fan of that still am <laughs> how right was graham griffith the night he called me went mate you want to hear this guy's voice he sounds like Billy Vi- uh, Billy Valo for him well can you imagine <laughs> he never I know, no, I'm so stoked. Like, and Jordan Spears, I gotta say, is literally just one of the best people in the universe. Like, that dude, I got nothing but love for that guy. Oh, and man. I'm so stoked he's still in my life to this day. Yeah, it's totally, man. Like, you know, he's not someone that I see that much, but when I do see him, it's always great to see him. He's always been nothing but nice to me. He's known me through yeah. my bad days and, and my good days, and he's just been a genuine nice guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, he actually doesn't live that far from me. I should probably, probably say <laughs> more than I should, to be honest. Um, Want to catch him? Catch him early. Apparently, he does the, the the routes in Queens Park, the hidden routes in Queens Park to get the get the steps in. I saw him chasing Pokemon one day at Queens Park, <laughs> back when the Pokemon find Pokemon. Pokemon was go. Um, man, that's gotten no to hear about the. Um, I never knew about the whole label thing and HMV yeah, and that dude. kind of thing. I hate that stuff, man. Like. You know, you know my favorite band's the starting line, and I don't know if you've yeah. watched their DVD of mm-hmm. what happened to them. It just seemed like such bad luck when it comes to that other aspect of being a band, and that's obviously what's happened to you guys there. Yeah. Who, knows, who knows what might have been different if that never happened? And don't want to depress you too much, but you know, it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like that obviously had a real impact on that album, man. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, that whole the album. I think, yeah, without going on and on and on about it, it sounded like a broken record. I'm so proud of the record. It's absolutely amazing. We we all love that album and what it did for us as people, for what it did us, uh, for us as a band. 
but it was plagued with bad luck. Yeah. You're exactly right. It was plagued sure, with difficulties right. and, and yeah, but it, I mean, all that stuff makes you learn, makes you grow. You got to find those silver linings and, and just kind of be like, right, well, fuck, if we don't have money, how do we tour? If we don't have a van, how do we get to a show? If we can't sell our record, how do we give our music to people? And, and that was really interesting because that's when it really felt like there was a switch that we were all of a sudden a brand as well as a yeah. band. So then what year did you leave? I left in 2012. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was, I'm pretty sure I, I definitely was at your last gig. What, when was, when was the last gig in Block? July 2012, July 7th, maybe, or 4th, yeah, uh, like I early was, July. I knew and I was uh, it was a Block, was, yeah, we, yeah, we did a free show. In fact, I remember coming to that show, I was so anxious because I was, I'd only been you off the booze. You hadn't seen anyone in a long time. Yeah. I'd only been off the booze for must have been about six weeks or something man um and i just remember being so because I, I knew it was going to be rammed there's going to be all these <laughs> yeah. people there that i just kind of knew <laughs> from nights out and stuff but i'm so glad i went um yeah and thank you again for coming and, and being our friend and coming out to shows for all this always, time man so so why did you leave man big question so i guess i guess there's like there's there's kind of two sides to this and i hope that's okay number Number one, the reason why I left Flood of Red, because we, we released the album in 2009, right? Early 2009, or even at the end of 2009, if you will. Say, say we released at the end of 2009, sorry. I didn't leave until 2012, and that's a good chunk later. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's two elements of it. Number, number one was just that things were becoming, unfortunately, really difficult for us as a band. Like we were paying for studio space. We all had to work to pay for that studio space. We had done tours and tours and tours after the release of leaving everything behind. But then a year after that, the tours kind of start to dry up because that's the music industry and we can still do some festival stuff. We can do headline shows, but people want to hear new music. And so we were paying for this studio. We were in the studio writing, 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 writing all the time. And at this point, we were starting to kind of, I guess, really grow as people because now we're like 22, 23, uh, maybe even coming up to 24. And there's six of us in the band. By this point, Jim had left the band, you know, uh, who had been such a stalwart of our, of our group. Um, and we didn't really have a bass player. Um, I was always waiting on that call, bro. Yeah, man. And it was just it became kind of difficult. I think everyone was, I think the pressure of being in the band was on everybody's shoulders because we were all still living at home. Our parents are like, well, you know, you had a great run, but now what, <laughs> you know, we didn't, we never got signed to another label. You know, everyone kind of had their own idea of, well, the first record was this. Now this is what the second record's going to be. And we were writing, writing, writing. And man, it just, I think for everyone, it just got to a point where we all show, were showing up at the studio and we just, it became arduous. It wasn't as exciting as it once was, you know, because we knew that we had to write these songs. We knew that we had to follow this schedule. We knew, and it changed the dynamic. I mean, we, we were writing songs. The songs were great. We demoed so much stuff. A lot of that song went on to go on the second record that flood of red ended up releasing in 2014. But that's like five year, a five year gap. Normally album cycles are yeah. two years no, yeah, there yeah. should have been another record you know by yeah. 2011 if i if, <laughs> so i think that just became really really hard for everyone to deal with and and so with that pressure in mind the other kind of reason why i left was these were all my best friends 
these were dudes I grew up skateboarding with. These were dudes. I, I've actually known Jordan in a hilarious twist of events. I've actually, and we only realized this when we were in the band driving down the motorway to a gig in Hertfordshire or something, but I've actually known Jordan since I was like five years old. His grandpa lived around the corner from my grandpa and we had a play date when we were kids, you know? So that's good. Like our dads knew each other. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, this is how that tight, small Airdrie community is. And so these guys were all my best friends, you know, in high school, we met, we had these band, the band, we had the memories, we've skateboarded together. We've gone to countless parties together. We all still hang out and eat food and, you know, <laughs> crowd surf together. But I could feel the tension from us being in the band. And the band was the thing that was like making me argue with Jordan or making me argue with Graham or making me like, you know, not want to go hang out with my friends. And I kind of was just thinking, and I was like, dude, I could continue pushing myself and we can continue this really uphill struggle to come up with something. Yeah. But what is going to happen at the end of it? And it's again, it's you're, you're looking at these two paths in your life and going, well, what do you do at this crossroad? And I think I just, I just wanted to, I still wanted to have my friends at the end of the day. I still wanted to be friends with everyone. And I felt like the band was making me resent not the people in it, but I just, it became such a big thing that I was like, man, I don't want to lose these guys as friends by continuing on in this. And that was a big, a big, a really scary thing for me. So, uh, so yeah, so I, man, I remember going to practice, we were practicing, we were renting some studio space in Cope Bridge at this point because we couldn't afford Glasgow studio space. It was closer to us in Airdrie because we were all still living at home. I remember just coming out of practice and there was talk of like, a couple of shows that we were doing. And I remember just kind of turning around and saying, listen, guys, I don't really don't know how to say this, but I think after that run of shows, I don't know if I can really be in the band anymore just because we're all at each other all the time. And I'm not really down with that. Like, I'm sure it was, <laughs> I'm sure there were way more tears because we're all a bunch of emo kids. And <laughs> I love yeah. you, man. Sure. But, um, but yeah, and, and it was, it was weird. It was like breaking up with five girlfriends, you know, breaking up with four girlfriends at the time. Cause there were so many of us in it at the time. And, you know, Jordan didn't speak to me for a long time. I think a couple people took it quite personally. Sean was just like, well, man, if you're not happy, you're not happy. That's cool. Like, it, and that was it, you know? And, uh, and yeah, we did the last show and I think we all, I kind of took a part some time away from the guys. I just started working, uh, you know, with Apple who I'm working with now. And that was really exciting as well. Um, and yeah, it just kind of gave me something else to focus on. And I kind of wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to move out of my mom's place, dude. I wanted to, you know, still travel. I wanted to do a whole bunch of stuff. And it felt like everything that we were doing with the band was put on pause and none of us had any control over that. You know, the tap stopped, we were unable to turn it back on and, and all we were doing was just festering. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I ended up, um, yeah, making the decision to take a step back so we could, hopefully still I'll be buddies at the end of it. And I'd like to say, you know, we're all still friends to this of day. Course, I'm yeah. probably closer to Sean now than I was back then. You know, I'm closer to Jordan now than I was back then. You know, the, all these dudes mean so much to me. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, that must've been a hard conversation to have uh, after all those years. And... Yeah, dude. And I think I, th I remember going home and just like walking in the living room and my mom was just like, what's on your face? You look bummed out as hell. And I was like, dude, I just left the band, mom. This sucks. And she was like, well, okay. And then like, I'm pretty sure I burst into tears and sat oh, and cried man. for a thousand hours. And I remember going to see Flutter Red 
at the like i remember going to see flutter red the first time they played without me or, or with me not in the band i shouldn't say without me i remember going to see them once i left the band i remember like crying before going into it because i was like so nervous that they wouldn't even no talk one though <laughs> and then like seeing them and like man they were so good and then like leaving and like you like <laughs> seeing all like my friends at the show and be like yo is this weird for you and i was like no not at all <laughs> man when when we decided to to call it call it a day with my actions your exit um you know i th- i just I had to, I just fell away from music, man. Like I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I was getting upset going to watch my favorite bands because it just made me want to play music and I couldn't, yeah. and I didn't have the drive in me to try and start anything new at that point. I was, my drinking was probably at its worst. So I was in no position to be trying to ask people to come into a space with me creatively anyway. Yeah. Um, but musically, <laughs> I have like, I, I totally, I totally um, fell away from music in general for a, for a wee bit just because yeah, dude. it was sad. But um, you know what, man? Like you gave it such a good a good go, and I remember back in the day, like when we were and when we were the bad looking up to you guys, thinking if we could just be as big as them, if we could just be <laughs> as popular as them, uh, you know, I was. That's that's such a kind thing to say because like we always kind of joke like we were. <laughs> modestly successful you know we got a chance yeah. to travel and, and yeah that's it. Meet people then and we would never ever have had those opportunities had we stayed and got jobs in airdrie you know yeah. Yeah. like that just wouldn't have been the case um so i mean that's that's very very kind of you to say and i i totally relate to what you're saying yeah music was something that gave me so much when i was growing up that I felt that it started to take away from me when I was getting older. And I didn't like that feeling. It scared the yeah. crap out of me, dude. So I was like, right, I got to take a step away from this. I'm going to put my guitar under my bed for a month. Yeah. You know, and that's a hard yeah. thing to face. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to kind of jump out of the only thing, you know, that's it, man. And you know, that's why I'm so like, so grateful for the bad luck pop punk karaoke guy, karaoke shows yeah. that I can get involved in because it lets me have fun playing music again. Uh, there's no stress. Yeah, there's, no, there's no pressure to be hoping people come to the show, to be hoping they like the new song, to be <laughs> posting on the internet every two seconds. Please come begging people to come because you don't yeah. want there to be five people. It's just fucking <laughs> fun as hell. You yeah, jump dude. about. Yeah, okay, they're not other songs, but you get. I get such a buzz just playing people and giving people enjoyment. Uh, to this day, we get I still get to do that, even though it's not that regular. It's still something to always have in the pipeline to look forward to, and um, you know I'm 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 I love that man. I haven't played I haven't, oh, play, I haven't played my bass for years, like literally years. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, those the so so you and I do these pop punk karaoke shows now with uh, with Cam and Richard and a, a myriad of amazing drummers and who are, and, and, and whoever else is available at the time. Um, but man, those shows are so much fun. Cause you're right. There's no pressure. It's yeah. nostalgic. Dude, we get to play the songs that we listened to in 2002. Yeah. Like I'm still wearing baggy jeans. I've still got hair on my head and I'm still skateboarding in the, you know, the back of St. Enoch center, the back of the, the gallery of modern arts in Glasgow and meeting people for the first time. Yeah, so it's, for sure. Uh, Music will always be kind in that way. But yeah, it, it, I think Flutter Red, that was just a chapter, I think. I was coming up for 25. It was just, 
one of those times to kind of just, I think it was like, right, I gotta, I gotta make a jump somewhere because I could committed so much time to Flutter Bread. I don't know what about you, but I've got such a passion and a love back for going to gigs again as well as I've mm. gotten older. Uh, as Again, as I said back then, I took a wee, I didn't go as many gigs. And then I had this, when I stopped drinking, I had a bit of a lot of social anxiety of being mm-hmm. in those kind of places with, uh, without a drink and stuff. And I avoided, man, I missed so many gigs that I really wanted to go to because of that. Then I just got over it. And over the last few years, man, like, if I can make it, I'm going. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I love it. I love going to gigs, man. It's, uh, it's, a, so, it's a social thing. It's my favorite social thing to do now. Yeah. It always has been, I- I I totally totally agree with you. I love going to shows. I love and like, man, tell send me a an Instagram message, send me a Facebook message, tell me your band's playing. Sick, I'll come along unless I absolutely can. Yeah, for sure. Just because, like, even if even if I'm that one of five people in the crowd, I'm still happy to go and check out a band, hear a singer, anything like that. Support a friend, whatever it may be. Just because music has always been such a vital part of my life yeah you know as well as something that you love it's just it's something that i need so yeah of course man yeah dude so let's go back to must have been what were you 16 when you were diagnosed with alopecia oh yeah exactly you hit the nail on the head dude i was 16 years old 16 years young Man, that's that's mad. I remember. I think my first memory of you telling me that was we were playing a gig in Carluk. I think it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, street, I remember street, telling you street level or some shit. We all man. got the train out there. Yeah, didn't man, we? that was it. Yeah, so uh, I remember you telling me on the train. And I think you were. I think it was like starting to happen or whatever. And you kind of told yeah. you kind of told everyone and stuff, man. What was that like for you, if you don't mind kind of Yeah, no, totally. Alopecia is like this weird thing. So alopecia is, there's different various levels of it, you know, and uh, largely alopecia is the loss of hair through stress, anxiety, or, you know, from an actual physical thing like a low immune system or a, a weak immune system. And the dumbest thing, I was standing in high school and someone came up to me and, Callum, have you shaved your eyebrow? You look like one of these footballers. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I didn't realize I had like this bit missing in my eyebrow because, you know, I was trying to grow my emo fringe out. Yeah. So I wasn't paying attention to my eyebrows. And then I went home. I kind of looked at it. I was like, oh, weird. I must have just, yeah, I must have done something stupid. And then, you know, like a couple of days later, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time and, and when you're in 16 years old, running her hands through my hair and she goes, what have those boys done? Have they shaved your head? And I was like, what are you talking about? And sure enough, about the size of a five pence piece, you know, just, just up on the top kind of right hand side of my head, there was like this pure as silk, clean bald patch. I was like, man, I don't know if that's shaved. That's, that's, that's some, you know, seal like on the side of the beach soft right here. Like that's crazy. And so I went, I asked my mom, I went, yo, what do you think this is? And she went, uh, kind of looks like alopecia. Wouldn't worry about it. And then she walked away and then like it started getting bigger. Like two weeks later, later that 10 pence piece or five pence piece, whatever it was turned into a 10 pence piece and then a 50 pence piece. Like, you know, it was, it was growing. And then noticeably my eyebrow, (laughs) I had two on one side of my head. It was my left eyebrow. And there was like a gap in the middle of my eyebrows. I was like, man, this is so bizarre. 
So I, I went to my next door neighbor who was a hairdresser and I just said to her, I was like, hey, Jackie, hope you don't mind me knocking on the door. But my mom says she thinks I have alopecia. What is it? And what do I do? And she looked and she was like, yeah, it looks like you've got alopecia. You should go to a doctor. Uh-huh. Went to a doctor to confirm it. And the doctor was like, yeah, it looks like alopecia. Are you stressed? And I was like, I don't know, man. Isn't every 16-year-old kid? Like, we're, we're all on live journal and MSN here. Like, this is very stressful <laughs> weekend. So, um, so yeah, (laughs) so it was weird because I guess it wasn't, it's not anything that can kill you. It's, it's totally physical. It just, it makes your hair disappear. But the weirdest, the weirdest part of it was like when it started going, it started rapidly going. Like it wasn't so bad when I was 16, but then when I was 17, I was, I didn't want to take showers. I didn't want to wash my hair because anytime I did clumps of hair would come out. Like, you know, I, all, I went from being like this kid who had like pretty much a fresh little uh, bit of stubble all over his face looking like George Clooney to, to looking like a, you know, a mini egg. Like it was really, really bizarre. It was just like, what's going on? I don't know how to handle this. And that was the weirdest thing because I was still in high school. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember some kid because like we said, kids are stupid. I remember some kid coming up to me after like the day after I shaved my head or something or because I started wearing a hat because I was losing so much hair I can't remember what point he came up to me but this, this wee first year from Airdrie Academy ran up to me on the walk home and went big man big man if you got the cancer and I was just like what and he's like ah oh, you're losing all your hair and I was like nah dude it's alopecia don't like chill okay. like that's that's a wild thing to ask someone when all right I fear play man all the best before you die. And I was just like, fucking hell, because I I didn't even know what it was, but thankfully alopecia isn't anything, anything like that. But yeah, it got to a point, man, where I was losing so much hair. Like it was starting to go from my beard. It was like my left eyebrow had totally disappeared. It was so patchy. I was having to wear a hat in school, you know, and people were, you know, cause kids are shitty. People were stealing my hat and throwing it in the bin. And then I'd be walking about school all day with like these. Throwing it in the bin. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be, cutting about looking like you know someone had just fucking attacked me with a pair of clippers so I, th- I remember it was like coming up for halloween in october and my friend kirsten mcfadden who lived around the corner from me i remember calling her up and saying like dude i think i'm gonna do it. i think i'm gonna shave my head I'm nervous as hell can you come around and help me out because i didn't even know like how to shave my facial hair let alone shave my head and she came up and I think I just literally used soap and a razor to try and get rid of all my hair. Worst idea ever. So it was all, I was bleeding everywhere. Just this bald oh, head still had one eyebrow and like half a mustache bald everywhere else. Oh, man. And then pretty quick after that, the eyelashes went, the eyebrows went all body hair was gone. And now I relish in it, man. I am the smoothest dude on planet earth. <laughs> but like, how did you deal with that as a kid? Not well. <laughs> Not yeah. well at all. Yeah, man, that must uh, have been scary, man. Yeah, I mean, it was just weird, like, because it's a physical thing. And obviously, when you're a kid, like, appearance, I mean, even now, and, you know, a thousand years ago, I think, you know, you want to look cool, you want to dress cool, you want to say cool things to impress your friends or the girl that you like, whatever it is. And I think there was just a lot of that. I was in sixth year of high school. We were never, ever popular kids in high school. You add this whole, like, you know, people don't really know me as a person, shave all my hair off. All of a sudden, people don't know, is this guy, does he have cancer? Does he have alopecia? Is he just making a bold, bald statement? Who knows? Like, you know, and no one wanted to come up and talk to me about it, you know? And that was in my last year of high school. And normally, if you make it to sixth year, you do your high school dance and your, 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 whatever it is, your high school photos and 
And I just didn't have a good relationship with any of the kids in my year at school bar one or two and the guys in the band. And it was, it was tough. I still wore a hat every day. Didn't wore a hat religiously at gigs. I had like so many different hats. Didn't want people to see me being bald. Like at that time, at that age, everyone was doing like cool things with their hair, like straightening their hair, like dyeing it. Well, I say cool, like in hindsight now is some of the wackiest stuff to do with your emo fringe. But, um, but I tell you what, man, cause like, as soon as I was bald, there was like two things I was worried about. I absolutely noticed that as a young guy going out to these parties and going out to the cat house or going out to nightclubs, whatever it was, or going to shows and playing, playing music, people wouldn't, people wouldn't immediately approach me. So I was the dude who had to kind of like approach and be like, Hey, what's up? My name's Callum. Yeah. I just played in that band or, Oh, Hey, your, your band was so sick tonight. Like, uh, where are you guys from where you got any more gigs coming up? And I really had to kind of like outwardly promote myself. I had to like assert myself as like, Hey, I know I look like this 40 year old man at a concert full of 20 year olds, 18 year olds, whatever, but I'm, I'm not, I'm just a kid, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm 17 years old. Whenever it was when I lost the yeah, 17, yeah. when I decided to shave all my hair off and, um, and yeah, so that was wild. So it, for a couple of months, it was really uncomfortable, especially like, I guess like the last, you know, kind of, that was like October or yeah, the end of October. Cause it was for Halloween. I tried to dress it up as a Halloween costume. I dressed up as a Ninja Turtle. So I was like, yeah, I shaved my head to be a Ninja Turtle. I'm all green and smooth. And then like January, February, March of like school was awful. I just, you know, put my head yeah. down, studied for my exams. Couldn't wait for school to be over so we could go on tour. And then I went on tour and I was the only ball guy at any of these shows or festivals. So that's where I had to kind of be like, well, you know, I can't really just chill anymore. I got to, if, if, if I want to meet people to help the band, if I want to meet people, you know, I got to, I got kind of need to say, hi, my name's Callum. It's good to meet you. Oh yeah. I'm bald as hell. What about it? Stick something to my head. Ha ha ha. <laughs> like, you know, and <laughs> just had to kind of find the positives in it all. And, and if I'm honest, dude, I think I've always kind of been really, <laughs> really goofy anyway like massive massive dork but i think people were like oh yo this bald dude he's actually not so bad and of course man you're like <laughs> but i think people were you, apprehensive back in the emo friends days people were like what is this guy on what kind of drugs is he taking because this is a different kind of emo <laughs> that we're yeah. dealing with here <laughs> <You know? laughs> fucking hell so yeah. it was a bit wild um but not nah, like it taught me a lot of things about myself it taught well, me that yeah Can I you know just be who you are, be, be a nice dude. And it doesn't matter if you look like George Clooney or not, people, you know, be nice to you in return sort of thing. If they're a good person, of course, and I, I, that was really important, but I became way more recognizable. Like all of a sudden people are like, Oh yeah, Flutter Red, that band with the bald Californian guy in it. <laughs> There'd be times when we'd all, we, we like all six of us would be standing together and someone would come up and look at me and go, Hey, you're the guy from Flutter Red. And I'm like, yeah dude we all are and they're like no 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 but you're the guy you got that haircut bro uh, you're always you're always cool making jokes about it and stuff and back in the day man i remember i remember um we were i don't know why we were on this guy this was back in the day man we were playing with pen knife love life and fury Murray's or something man and all those guys yeah. were in the dressing room straightening their hair and you come in you're like can i use this <laughs> Well, that was it, like Pen Knife Love Life, because we ended up being label mates with them. That gig was what, 2005? It must have been 2005. Yeah, 2004, yeah. 2005. 
You think? And, and so, yeah. And so we played that show with you guys and Penknife Love Life. And they were like a big band at the mm-hmm. time. You know, they were a band that we wanted to play with. They were a cool band. They had sick guitar riffs and breakdowns. And yeah, so like we were on the bill. I just kind of had to find a way to kind of talk to people. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, I would make dumb jokes like that. I'll, dude, I'm 32 years old now and I still make dumb jokes about <laughs> being bald all the time. At work, if a customer walks in the door and they're like, oh, it's Wendy outside, they'll be like, well, I know I had hair when I left the house this morning. <laughs> you know? But it's just dumb. Like, it's just, I know, you know, I'm just trying to have fun. Like I'm not self-deprecating at all. It's just, it's all, all for a good laugh to kind of break break the break the barriers and okay, man. and have a conversation with somebody let them in a little bit closer to my life that's it man um yeah but well as far as i could see you're always you were you were like the outgoing guy man you're all you were like always introducing yourself but i was like back in the day i was well unless i was out my nut but i was <laughs> I, felt I was always really struggled with that but yeah. yeah you were you know you're never you're like everyone knows you as like the nicest dude ever so you know <laughs> very kind of you and um, I, I, I would just kind of hoped everyone would see past the baldness or at the very least know me as the baldest guy ever so, <laughs> so what about uh music now man is that we thought we've got the we've got the karaoke shows but you know we literally have like one jam of that before we <laughs> yeah. so in terms of like music you just write yeah. some stuff you just see what happens <clears throat> so i guess with bad luck so after I left Flutter Red, like we said earlier, like I kind of put music in a cupboard for a minute just because I was kind of like really hurt by it, really bummed out. But, you know, pretty quickly after I I was still pulling out, I, I pulled the guitar back out and was just like, man, I can't not play music. I got to play something. And I had a couple of songs that I'd written. A lot of stuff that I had written and brought to the Flutter Red table was really different from Flutter Red. And I was like, yo, what do you guys think about this? Because I was so influenced by, you know, Jimmy World growing up and, taking back Sunday and a lot of that kind of like that, you know, that American kind of that Americana emo sound almost. Yeah. Um, there was all this kind of lighthearted, easy three chord stuff that I loved. And I just would always write stuff like that as well as the kind of more intricate melody uh, and six minute solo stuff that you do. Um, so yeah, so I, it, again, was just, I had to write music, couldn't not record music. I think I had, uh, this a song that I'd written on an acoustic guitar and Flutter Red had never done really anything acoustically. And I was like, well, you know, it's easy because it's just me. I can record it and put a video up online. And I did. And and it was actually, again, it was Stephen Hill as well as a whole bunch of other good friends like Stephen Grewer and like, you know, Laura Robertson and Rachel and Allie and all those dudes that we were hanging out with um, forever. They were like, you know, this, this, this isn't bad and you should, you should do something with it. Cause I didn't even have a name for what I wanted to do. I didn't know that I wanted to be in a band again. I definitely didn't want to be the singer, <laughs> but here I was singing on it. And um, so, yeah, so a few people had said like, listen, you got to do a show. So I did a, I did a free show. It was a struggle town. And um, one of the struggle town nights back in block a thousand years ago. And I thought, you know what? I was like, there. music is <laughs> you were music had been so kind to me. And despite that we had had, like Flutter Reddit had so much bad luck. I was like, oh man, maybe it'd be real funny just to call it tongue in cheek, just bad luck. And then like, I'll do one show and no one will ever ask me to play again. And I asked Kim, Kim Miller, who of course, one of the most incredible people in the universe um, and an amazing musician. And she, her and I were, were good, good, good friends. And I said, Kim, would you want to sing some, some harmonies like with me would you want to sing with me on this on this acoustic night that I'm doing and she was like yeah sure so we did it together and that was that and then like afterwards we actually kind of realized wow our 
your voice is actually kind of like, I really love my voice and your voice together. It sounds cool. So we just kind of kept writing music back, you know, from 2000, 2013 to now. Now, I mean, again, bad luck has doesn't have a label you know it's just me on my computer programming drums and recording bass and guitars and sending the ideas over to Kim and Richard and you know maybe we'll play a handful of shows every now and again um but yeah we, we're doing these pop-punk karaoke shows with Hannah and Aileen and they're amazing <laughs> and so much fun bad luck I had to take a bit of a hiatus because Kim was up in Aberdeen for like six yeah. months for university and you know I am in Edinburgh all the guys are in Glasgow and you know, that was kind of a bit of a weird one. You know, everyone is growing up with their lives, buying houses, having kids, whatever it is. So there's a lot of stuff going on that I think slows it down a little. But yes, Bad Luck is definitely making music. I've got like a thousand songs to send you. I will do so later on. Um, I've sent a whole bunch of stuff over to Kim and Richard recently because, again, in this downtime, one of the things that I'm really enjoying is going back to songs that I've never finished and finishing them going back, back to ideas that I had and sending them to Kim and Rich and be like, well, what do you think about this idea? And now we're also comfortable as friends and, you know, the histories that we have with music that it's, it's, again, it's really exciting. It's really fun. And again, there's no pressure. There's no producer. There's no manager. It's just us having a lot of fun and kind of writing the music. I'm writing the music that I kind of always wanted to write. And it's, you know, it just sounds like bleed American on repeat. So it's good. <laughs> Man, that's that's awesome, and that's you know at this age and the fact that we're there's all you know responsibilities of being an adult. You know that's just all it has that should be just fun and yeah, passion. Hundred percent. You know, and if uh, and if you get asked to go on some crazy tour, then fucking do it. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, exactly. If, and if if not, then just have fun, man. You know, and and, and and bad luck is exactly that. And it's it's managed to be that the entire time, which is cool. Which is amazing. Um for the Red Reunion tour. Oh my god, one of the most incredible and emotional journeys of my life last October. Yeah. I was at the Glasgow and show, it was amazing, man. Really, really amazing. Thank you, dude. Yeah, I, I you text me pretty like either that night or the yeah. next day, and I remember just thinking, like, fuck like, again, how is it to still have a friend that I made when I was you know, yeah, 15 smart. years old still come out and support the band that I play in now at the age of 32. So. I had that much of a good um, time. I went tour. to the cat house sober after it because I was that <laughs> hyped. I was that buzz. I went out and partied and I don't do that anymore, man. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's the emotion I wanted to give you that we wanted to put that fire in your legs and get you dancing and crowd surfing again, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, that tour was insane. Like we were so fortunate that the guys from DF Concerts, like Chris and Chris and a whole bunch of people had like even thought about doing like a 10 year anniversary show of the album because that's how it came around. We were we were contacted and everyone was like, yo, you know, the, the album's going to turn 10 years old and it's a Saturday night. King Tuts is free. Would you guys be up for doing it? It could be a huge party. Flutterhead are not ones to uh to turn down parties man we are cowboys you know, we're just ready to go give us a give us a crowd and we will surf it you know so yeah um, all, all guns are blazing so we were like yeah let's do it the big thing for us was you know jim mcgowan had man he'd gone out to canada so it was really a question of i think we're all into it can jim do it and as soon as he was like as soon as jim was just like classic jimbo like 
Hi, man, I'll be there. We're like, amazing. Yeah. It's happening. So, yeah, so we, uh, we got a couple shows booked to make it worthwhile for Jim coming over. And, yeah, put the tour together. And, dude, that was literally – it was so good to see so many people. Because, I mean, the best – like, it was so great to spend all that time again. Because, I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I spent six consecutive days – with Dale Gallagher or Sean McGordy or Graham Griffith or all these, Jim who's now living on a different part of the world and Jordan, you know, so it was absolutely amazing just to kind of relive that. And if I'm honest, I think for a lot of us, it was great. It was a great kind of close to a chapter in our lives that I, you know, it was a very cathartic feeling to kind of share that stuff with the guys again. And, you know, to honestly, the most amazing thing about those shows were the crowds that came out to it every night, you know, that people traveled from Australia, Singapore to come out to those shows and people who had never actually managed to see us who came out to see us for the first time. And they're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And so, yeah, so that was a great feeling, you know, to have that much of an impact musically and someone to travel like that, man, that's class. Dude, it, it is insane. Like, literally, again, music has been so kind, and it always has been in my life. And I don't consider myself an incredible musician. I can't read music. Like, I couldn't tell you what chord I'm playing when I play the guitar, and I've been playing it for, you know, coming up for 20 years. Yeah. But I still play it, and I still love playing it, and I still, you know, try and share that with people. And the people who are interested have always been very receptive and have loved it. And then, yeah, honestly, yeah, I can't even – can't even tell you like or describe what kind of amazing you know vibe that is for sure but man. it's a vibe <laughs> for sure it's a good vibe of course man and i'm all here for it man it's been a great chat yeah we've covered a lot of we've covered a lot of ground dude have, man. it's been <laughs> you know some nostalgic thoughts during this this yeah. talk you know which is which is great um you know what say uh, i don't know what it is it's just those, that, those days man they just stick with me so hard and you know I th- think back when we first started playing shows together when drive Through Records was a thing when you know all the bands were in their height coming over and going to shows was the best thing yeah. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't ruined my life with alcohol yet so I was still like <laughs> I was still innocent you know Yeah. Um, and it was just you know thinking reminiscing talking about it it just is amazing to do it so man i can't yourself it's been amazing yeah i can't thank you enough for inviting me along dude i was i like i said to so many friends i was like yo i'm nervous as hell dougas normally has these amazing people on (laughs) like he's inspiring people on and i'm just gonna go and talk about going to the cat house at the age of 15 gonna go and talk about you know no I'm, i'm really glad we didn't go into too much detail about some of the the old tours and some of the hijinks we all got up to <laughs> man if you want to share anything <laughs> no, then no, go no, ahead no. i mean i mean from uh, i can't even from you know from pooping in a pillow case and giving that pillow to a another band to sleep with on tour to, you know, to, <laughs> to just the many count what was that one you always told me oh, i can't believe i went with pooping in a pillowcase that was the worst thing ever to lead with now i, I didn't do this either. just like nervously i'm like ah, that wasn't me and um, what was the one you always like why did i end up driving with you guys when we did shows together with azriel and yashin and you were recording it and apparently i was asleep in the back oh, of the car yeah, yeah, yeah. like turned the camera around and i was just like wide-eyed awake and you were staring right staring down the lines bro it looking was, into your soul it was a freaky, I, knew it, a freaky I knew we'd always have this connection 
Yeah, man, sleeping in cars and parking lots, man. Like that's what it was all about back then. Used to sleep in fields if it was a nice enough night. Insanity, man. I do. I do have a couple questions. I forgot about that. Um, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. (laughs) uh, The first, the first one, yeah, Instagram. The first one is who is your favorite Gemini yoga instructor? (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) as far as yoga instructors and as far as Gemini's go, I mean. There's really only one person we could probably narrow. I think I know who this is, mate. It's definitely going to be Ronan Keating herself, Robin (laughs) Kennedy. Uh, Yeah, no, Robin's a good egg, eh? Yeah, and done a podcast with Robin last, not two two years ago, I think. And I listened to that podcast. I was living in Langside Road at that time, and I didn't have Wi-Fi. I I never had Wi-Fi for the entire eight months that I was living in that flat. I remember streaming on on (laughs) Forge of the podcast, dude. It was amazing. The the next question is a a bit deep, man. Oof, as if we haven't covered enough emotional wounds. Enough deepness. Um, <laughs> do you feel that you try and please too many people at the one time and spread yourself too thin? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And we'll f- stop doing it then. <laughs> <laughs> and what a, what a good question. And you, I mean, that probably, I don't know if that's from someone who knows me well. Yes, it is. That, yes. Or if that's someone from who's looking on. Uh, no, know, no, it's a good friend. Anything. Good friend. But yeah, hundred percent, dude. Like, I think the difficult, and I've really got myself in my past into some really bad situations from trying to make the best of smaller bad situations. If that makes sense, like if you're trying to please everyone, if you're trying to say yes to everybody, if you're trying to go here and go there and like show up at this birthday party, but then you know be a good son or be a good boyfriend or whatever it is, and you're like you end up kind of burning yourself out. There's no doubt about it. And I I've found that in different places where I've worked. I found that in the band, you know, I learned that kind of early on with Flutter Red and stuff that we were doing that, you know, you can't just say yes to everything. I'm a yes guy by nature and I love meeting and talking and learning and all that, you know, stuff. But definitely there are times when it's like right now I understand where the, the balance is, whereas I didn't have that when I was, you know, in my youth, 20 to 25, even 25 yeah. to 30, dude, it's probably only something I've learned recently. But yes, I try and be a nice dude because I feel that we all should be nice people. But when I was younger, I didn't know. I think I was pushing myself to be too nice to everybody. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, at the end of the day, man, I think you're just a genuine good person that, <laughs> you know, you're trying to do things for people. Like, you know, you're always riding, when we were practicing for the gigs, man, you're always fucking being a taxi driver to me, even though you live in Edinburgh, you know, you're always prepared <laughs> to pick me up from work to take me to the studio or, you went to freaking Carlisle to pick Johnny and Tony up just to make sure they could go to a wedding last. That's right. Years ago, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just nice things, man. You're just a good guy, but yeah. Sometimes you just got to say no to make sure you look after yourself a bit better. But ah, uh, for sure. And I've definitely learned that now. And I think you know, it's. I think one of the things, the way that I learned that was by saying yes to people who then took advantage of it, you know. And unfortunately, that had to happen for me to kind yeah. of understand. Okay, well, I'll never put myself in that situation again. And I'm not a quick learner, so it happened a couple of times. Man, his heart broken, you know. So, last thing, man, just because uh, I'm, te- you know, this is technically a kind of fitness podcast, not today, but in general. Oh, for sure. Um, I did 20 push-ups just to get me pumped for this. <laughs> 20, I'm in 200. Uh, no, nah, I mean to be fair, like I, I don't want this podcast to be just pure talking about health and fitness. Like you know, yeah. me, and jo- me and Johnny didn't really talk about that much it was about other stuff and i just think good conversations can help people and yeah listening to people's stories is just amazing um so 
but what I've noticed from you is you've started running recently, man. So I've ran before in the past and everyone winds me up because I actually find running really boring. But well, I know it can be, man. It can I know be. it's good cardio and like I'd run on my own. I'd be like, this is like I at the time when I started running, I was running really fast because I didn't know what like <laughs> Yeah, like sprinting around foot. my block. Yeah. And like Stevie <laughs> G used to wind me up. Guru would always wind me up, be like, Hey, you're running for about five minutes, mate. And I was like, Well, like, yeah, now I'm knackered because I just ran. So 30 miles an hour for five minutes. Like, you know, I tried to outrace the gazelle down there. <laughs> so yeah, but no, I've, it's, it's a good way. Like I started running a bit again last year because we, where we're living in Edinburgh, we're right next to Hollywood park and dude, it is beautiful. Like just go for a little run around Arthur C Edwards yeah. chair. You know, it, it just looks amazing. And, um, you know, and it's, it is good. I like putting on some heavy music, like kind of getting one of the things I'll say is like, yes, I'm a totally cool, uh, totally easygoing, upbeat dude who tries to be cool all the time. But there are moments where I get hilariously frustrated with myself or I get really down about dumb things in the world. And what I have found is really good is running just to kind of clear my head a little uh, as well as the cardio exercise that, yeah, it is a good one or whatever kind of workout we've been doing. Cause I have been trying to kind of just stay on top of my overall physical fitness as well as mental fitness really since about 2017 yeah for sure man i think that a couple of tips for running for you man is just you know take all pressure off do not mm-hmm. have you know don't stress about what you should <laughs> be doing what you think you should be doing how fast you should be going just do what yeah. you do it feels good get the tunes in and get the fresh air and it, it then becomes therapy rather than something that is boring or you hate because i think people just like like you're trying to run too fast of course yeah. you're gonna hate that man because you're gonna last five <laughs> minutes and then have to go up the road so but yeah i would i would highly recommend running for clearing the old head anytime get that get the tunes in and uh, you know especially when we've got some sun because we don't get that much of it do we? not at all not at all for sure and i think now i understand where when i first started to run why i didn't like it so much and i i mean i don't know that i do like it anymore but i get to run with emily now and that's really cool and she's a really good coach because she does take it easy and she's like nah i'm not gonna you know, I'm not going to try and do this. I'm not going to try and do this in a really short amount of time. Let's pace it out. And she's got great pace and she's a great teacher. Callum, any last words? Yo, stay safe, stay cool, you know, get in touch with your parents, speak to them, say, Hey, what's up? Get in touch with your best friends, put on your favorite records, you know, just take a bit of time doing the things that you love, have that cup of coffee, that cinnamon bun. And, uh, and yeah, man, thank you for the time. My like pleasure, it's been really man. cool to connect and i hope uh, i hope we i hope i get to see you soon more than yeah man. yeah for sure um yeah, for sure that gig will be getting rescheduled asap trust me yeah yeah dude and uh, i guess in terms of music thank you to all it's given us yes and uh yeah keep listening to good music dudes that's all i can think of thank you so much for talking man i really appreciate it it's been a great chat and um nah, man thank you i will hopefully see you soon Peace, man.